Hello, 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 everybody. This is No Chick Flick Moments, and I am your co-host, Remy. Hi, Remy. I am your other co-host, B. And this is our Supernatural Watchcast. And today we are talking about Season 14, Episode 15, Peace of Mind, which is an episode that we have been talking about, alluding to, like, since literally Episode 3. <laughs> the Pleasantville episode, as you're so fond of calling it. I uh, Okay, but, but the description, I never include, like, the one word or the three word stinger that they put on, they tack on to the beginning of the um description they have like a basically a description tagline on the Mm -hmm. official description and you know what i'm validated because the tagline for this week's description was pleasantville fuck sam and castiel follow pitchcrest we're not here we're we're not ready for the description yet hold your horses guys so (laughs) this episode was this episode was written by uh steve yaki and Megan Fitzmartin. Yay, Megan! <laughs> and directed by Phil Sagricia. So, okay, say you say, yay, Megan. Inform me. Fill me in here. Because I know that Megan is a new-ish writer, right? Or I don't know her. All I remember is that when this episode aired, I was like, oh my god, who wrote this? And you told me that it was a new writer. It wasn't me who told you. Mariah told you. Mariah? <laughs> Megan, I think she has been, I don't, I don't know technical terms. I'm like kind of like understudy question mark or yeah. she's been with the Supernatural crew for a bit, but now she is working on episodes and was working with Yaki on this one. And holy shit, come out the gate running. It was so good. I love this episode. What a debut. I mean, seriously. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so yeah, <laughs> basically, when we came out of this episode, I was like, oh, stars in my eyes. Who wrote that? And yes. Yay, Megan. So the description for this episode reads, Sam and Castiel follow a case to a, oh, my handwriting. Oh, my. Oh, my. Atlanta. <laughs> okay. What are these hieroglyphs? <laughs> uh, the description reads, Sam and Castiel follow a case to a picturesque little town in Arkansas, only to find out nothing is as idyllic as it appears to be. Dean and Jack take a road trip to visit an old friend. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yep. yep. Dean, it was episode. <laughs> I was struggling so hard not to say Arkansas, but yeah. I, I was sitting here, I was like, what's Arkansas? Arkansas. 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 <laughs> I don't think I actually succeeded, but <laughs> so Dean this episode was so Oh, awkward dad of the year. It was so good. Oh everyone, yeah. Everyone was so good. So can't wait. Yes. We open up. We open up. It's nighttime and we see. We see a man running in a panic past a bunch of retro-esque shops. There is a $2 Scooby-Doo matinee going uh-huh. on in the theater. There's Stan's Lane's bowling and uh, Sam and Ev's records shop. And this guy is stopping for none of them. He is running off to Harrington's malt shop where he calls for a woman named Sunny. 
Yep, he's banging on the door, sunny, sunny, and the door opens, and we get, I don't even know, I, I, I have been searching my mind for words that uh, describe the music, the score of this episode, and I can't, I can't think of anything other than just a buddy fucking Holly. It's just, <laughs> it's just buddy Holly, except it's not, but it's, it's just, like, we get this, like, swelling, old-fashioned, like, uh, t- total Casablanca. Um, yeah, there's these wood tones to it. Like, I think there's the oboe in there. I always go <laughs> with oboe as, like, the sound for vintage, but and clarinet. And this woman opens the door, and they meet in this embrace, and the music swells, and Sunny says, Conrad! What are you doing here? You have to go. And he he's refusing to leave without her. But she says, no, I made a promise. And they have this wrenching kiss. And he says, I love you. And then runs off. Yep. Yep. And we we next see this big road sign um, that says Charming Acres, where everybody's happy. Five miles from Charming Acres. Yes. And, and we see Conrad running past this Charming Acres sign uh, from the direction of Charming Acres, but he, he, he pulls up to or he runs up to this gas station, this highway gas station. Yes. So there's this Cloverhill Market gas station, and he just barrels his way inside. And the first thing he's doing is asking after the gas attendant's phone. And the guy there, Griffin, he is reading a comic book and kind (laughs) of not giving him 100% of his attention. So Conrad just takes his cell phone and runs down one of the aisles as if he's going to attempt to use it. And and Griffin just stands up. He's like, hey, that's my phone. Hey, I'm gonna call nine one one, and and the whole time Conrad is just screaming. He's obviously he's as soon as he entered the uh the gas station convenience store, um he clutches his head in pain and he is panting. Like poor Griffin probably thinks this yeah. guy is so tweaked out. Uh, 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 the internal impression we're getting for Conrad is he's hearing this high pitched noise and we can see like his skin is contorting and yeah. he's getting darker color around his eye sockets. And it's just not looking like a good scene there, lads. Nope, nope, nope. And like I said, Conrad is screaming behind the aisles. Um, we're kind of looking at it from Griffin's POV. And and kablooey? <laughs> I, yeah, it- I don't know how to put this delicately. Well, Cass puts it aptly, but um, <laughs> essentially it's too late. Conrad's head has exploded. <laughs> A fucking a fucking geyser that oh my hits god a, of of blood and brain matter that hits the 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 fucking ceiling, ceiling tiles, tiles. Yeah. and and Griffin is still behind the counter he's like dude you, you okay? need you need some help and like. He comes around and then we change cameras. We're now looking at not the, the not, I guess, the ground zero of Conrad's head, but like, <laughs> the, the ground three. Like, we've gone along the x-axis just a little bit here. And we can see Griffin in the background kind of putting two and two together. And then he just vomits he? when he sees Conrad's not okay. He yaks. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. It's... It's meaty. 
someone spilled a container of ground beef and we we can go straight into our title sequence clean up on aisle three we, uh, we we are we are in the bunker. We are yes. focused in on Jack holding Felix, and oh my god, one fucking Felix! This whole episode, Felix the snake, okay, from yes. the previous episode. Sorry, guys, I love Felix so much. I just I, he's been I boosted to main right cast in. in like thirty minutes. It's fine. I know he's such a pretty snake. He is. He's gorgeous. Uh, uh, part of the family. Well, uh, don't get attached. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll take it up with Megan and Yaki. No. So, <laughs> Jack is holding Felix in in his room, and uh, Cass comes to the door. Yeah. And- he he goes to visit, but Jack cuts <laughs> him off right away, and he's like, "I'm fine." Like he already yeah. knows why Cass is here. And Cass just doesn't believe him. He says, you you haven't been fine. Like, uh, especially after what happened to the hunters and the funerals. And my God, just that one line. I'm like, oh, the weight of events that that carries with it. I know. I know. It's just like so much happened in the last episode. And I mean, yeah. So uh, Cass says, no, you haven't really seemed fine ever since the Hunter funerals. And Jack uh, is still saying like, no, I'm fine. Yeah. Cass is not getting any, you know, no no quarter with with that particular line of conversation. Yeah, he's so. not feeling a lot of sincerity behind that answer, or at least he's not getting the impression that Jack has thought about it and come to this conclusion, that this is just the facade that he's giving. Right. So I think that Cass knows he's not going to get anywhere with that, so he changes tracks and he says, uh, how's Felix? How's the snake? <laughs> Yes, and Jack immediately hops on this subject. He says right. that it seems like the snake's feeling unwell. He's not eating. And Cass fucking uses this as a metaphor. <laughs> the first thing he says is, well, maybe he's missing his friend. Or, you know, he has been through a lot of change, you know, uh-huh. in such a short period of time. And we're like, we get it. The snake is Jack. Uh-huh. Jack has killed Michael, consumed his grace, and got his powers back. And... Well, how are you doing about that, son? Yeah, yeah. Basically, your powers are back, right? And, of course, uh, Jack says, I think so. And he floats the fucking pencil because... Yes. What else is he going to do? Yeah, and he floats it in an infinity symbol, too. So, again, Uh Primo, we're going back to the old school with him. Yeah. And he says that his powers are back but they do feel different now not like before if that makes any sense and (laughs) Cass is giving him a little bit of a wary worried look there and and that seems like the next question to ask would be so and your soul but that's not the question that jack wants to hear because then he shuts down again talking about yeah. his powers fine talking about felix great but when Cass asks about jack's soul um yeah jack just cuts to the chase yeah he doesn't know how much soul he's burned off and he's trying not to think about it yeah yeah and again Cass just kind of looks worried but there's nothing there's nothing really you know it, you know they're they don't know they just don't know 
Yeah. And when you're a parent dealing with an unruly teenager, sometimes it's like, okay, I'm going to back off and regroup (laughs) because if they get surly, Lord helps you. And, and so he's, he's getting a little pushback from Jack. So what does he do? He goes, he goes to Dean. Yes. And so we now have joined Dean eating this massive sandwich in the bunker kitchen. Oh, yeah. And Cass comes in and he makes this quip about, well, I thought that you were intending to sleep until the cows dragged you home. And Dean, like, (laughs) with his mouth full, he's just like, that's not, never mind. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he segues in saying that Rowena had called while he was unloading equipment and she's not great, but she's coping. How's Jack? And Cass kind of counters with Sam and they both say, oh, you know, they both say they're good, but um, both Jack and Sam are full of crap. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Dean says. He says, I think they're full of crap. And to, to highlight this point, we cut to Sam in the war room and he is, is on his tablet, but but he is having a rough go of concentrating here. He's essentially having a flashback where he is reliving all of the hunters' deaths in this room. He sees them in the chair. He sees them on the floor. And we get to hear in this horrible, agonizing scream overlay Maggie's final moments once again. And her eyes burned out. And I'm just like... This is rough. And yeah, Sam, if this is what you're thinking every time you're in this room, woof. Yep, yep. He seems he seems distracted. He seems tired. He seems... Oh, he is not having a good time. And then we go back to Dean and Cass and... And uh, Dean continues to stuff his face. Yeah. But Sam comes in and he says, I got us a case. It's in Arkansas. And Dean protests, pointing out that they've just gone on three hunts. They they have been out of the bunker on this rapid fire missions and they need to rest like at least one night. Yeah. Uh, And Sam shrugs and says, well, I'm leaving in 10. And he just walks out and fucking he's like, "Uh uh uh-huh, okay, bye. And fucking Dean, he turns to Cassie. He's like, see, we're fine. Like, yeah, right. See, he's fine. Uh, yep, we're all fine. Yeah, yeah. It's so sarcastic. Uh, oh my god. Again, Dean in this whole episode is just like oh, so many shrugs and and like background uh, expressions, and oh, I can't even. But uh, uh, Cass says, "Okay, well, you know, I maybe I should go with." Sam, you know, you really do need your rest, Dean. Uh, But if Sam's going, then I can keep an eye out on him. And I love how Dean just like, he's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just, he doesn't need to keep eyes on his brother. And knowing that Cass is going to be the one looking out for him. It's like, that's solid right there. There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. And then tag team dads, Cass says, and you 
uh, try to talk to Jack. See yeah. how he see if you can get him to open up because he's not opening up to me. And and again, just a huge bite of that sandwich. And Dean through his mouthful is like, "What makes you think he's gonna talk to me?" And oh my God, Cass says because he looks up to you. And I was just like, oh, "Okay, I'm dead now. It's fine." And you can see also Dean kind of gets shooketh by that. Like he's like. <laughs> Oh no, that's responsibility. I'm not willing to take <laughs> on. But he also Cass is saying, well, and you also, you know, the soulless thing is not n- a new scene to Dean. And Dean is like, oh no, 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 I didn't handle that well with Sam. And like, there's no way you, once again, don't put this responsibility on me. But Cass is kind of convinced that, you know, you're going to do fine. And Jack, I don't think that he's lost all of his soul. And just if you can find out about how much is there, like, that'd be great. Yeah. And just talk to him. (laughs) Just talk to him. And then, and there's this look on Cass's face, this look of revelation. And he says, and then you can sleep until the cows come home. He turns away. He walks out of the kitchen. He says, that's the expression. Like, yeah, mic like, drop. Got him. <laughs> oh, but yeah, let's let's take a moment to talk about this scene. Because that little brief rundown that we gave there of like, well, that just shows how much Dean trusts having uh-huh. Cass to go take care of Sam. But also, it is, like you're saying, like it's tag team dad moment here. That the, of the four of them... Jack and Sam seem to be in the worst state. So Cass and Dean are saying, they're okay, like, how are we going to help them? Like, we heard Rowena's coping. And I'm like, as far as I'm concerned, she probably was like, I wish I had never left that spa. I'm getting right back into that (laughs) rose water bath. And I'm not thinking about this for another hundred years. Like, fuck this. But Sam is using this really unhealthy coping mechanism of just throwing himself on these cases and Jack is just not opening up. And so, okay, Dean's approach with Sam isn't super working. Cass's approach with Jack isn't super working. So let's switch and let's see if we can make some ground that way. And this whole scene, like this whole three minutes is 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 just so, again... I don't know what it is about this season, but but Cass and Dean together seem to be the big. I, I support's not the right word, but they're just so the rock, commu- like the foundation, communicative with, like they they're actually communicating, and and we don't. I don't know. It's like they they just come together in the kitchen and then they talk out everything like. Like how, what what's what's going on, and then what do we do? And they're being really honest about how. Yeah, there's not a ma- lot of masquerading that's happening here. Like we saw in last episode when Cass was asking Dean how he was, and Dean says like I'm fine, yeah. but that's what I'm supposed to say, right? And Cass pushes and says, "Well, you're not," and Dean immediately caves. And then look at what we see in this episode. Sam and Jack are both sitting there going, "I'm fine," and they aren't budging on this. And so like Cass can push on those doors; they're not opening. But when he pushes with Dean. Dean goes, yeah, okay, here's my cards laid out on the table. Yeah, ex- yeah. And, you know, they could be dealing with, like, we could have had a whole episode of Cass trying to work out the soullessness thing with Jack and with Dean going on the hunt with Sam and 
and you know uh, getting that bromant at the end where Sam finally opens up but they have we get the impression that we've we've uh, we are a few weeks separated a couple weeks separated from last episode it's been a while if we've had three hunts in between but um we're we're just laying out flat that you know this isn't working our approaches aren't working so yeah. like you said let's swap and yeah this cycle's just repeating itself so let's do something fresh with it yeah yeah and I, it's it's just like oh my god i die it's so good i yeah it's just this kind of intangible thing that's happening here of just the the trust the sharing of responsibilities all of these things and like you just feel the family you feel the connection that these characters have and you also get that sense of the conversations that are happening off screen like you're saying like it's been three hunts so there's been a lot of time passed they had enough time to do how many funerals like we know of seven but I'm assuming that if it was the whole hunter hub or at least everyone who was there at the time then it's more than seven funerals that they had like, yeah every uh, i can't talk about the hunter hub no i, I can't it makes me sad you're you're <laughs> sitting in the same boat as sam where it's just like memories i'm gonna have i'm gonna have some things to say about the hunter hub at the very end of this episode when okay d- sam actually does open up about why he's you know feeling the way that he's feeling yes but we gotta get there okay so they have but but one more thing I think I just think that you you put it better than than we we got there. But when you said we do get that sense of family, and and how they're working together as a family, and there you know that's that's what hit. That's it. Yeah, they're all you know, family is the right in it in that here we're seeing Cass and Dean coming together to actually like talk it out okay how do we help our family yeah they're not letting it fall apart like they're not letting Sam just go be Sam and do Sam things and Jack just go be on his own and then oh yeah shrug what are you gonna do like Okay. And Dean and, and Dean and Cass aren't taking the responsibility solely on themselves. They're sharing yes. that responsibility. Yes, that's the big change there too. Yeah. Because I would have, you know, I wouldn't have raised an eyebrow if they had just decided that Dean is going to go wholeheartedly trying to help Sam, mm. and that's where his focus is. But it's it's like we've been beaten over the head here <laughs> that. He has enough faith in Cass to, okay, no, you go try that now. Like, I, I'm running low on fuel. I am, I need something easy to yeah. take care of for a minute so that I can take care of myself and then get back to helping everyone. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, Dean's going to stay in the bunker with Jack and Sam is going to go off where he's going off and Cass is tagging along and we cut Back to that road with the, um, oh shoot, the what's billboard. the name? The yeah, Charming the Acres billboard. Yeah, the Charming Acres billboard, that same stretch of road that we saw before. And Sam and Cass are pulling into that gas station that Conrad went to yes. in, in the opening scene. And I, this is the moment when I have a fucking heart attack because initially, on first, you know, blush, I 
thought that Cass was driving Connie. And <laughs> I thought that it was Connie. And and I, I, I oh my god. I You were so excited to think the Continental might be back. Yes, and oh, we know who Connie is. Everyone knows who Connie is. I still haven't met Connie. I'll pretend that that (laughs) didn't say that. (laughs) Anyways, the Continental (laughs) gas is Continental, but it's not the Continental. No, it's It's a a Ford piece of shit (laughs) driving up to this gas station. It is a piece of shit, though. We. It looks like it's been painted in dust. And, and like, we can see kind of inside of the car and the dash is, like, covered in fabric. Like, you know that, like, that car fabric, that pebbly, uh, uh, yeah. dusty. Old school vinyl oh that's God, kind of so got bad. that layer of oil grease. And it's just, like, and you're, like, I don't want to clean this. I just want a new car. It's peeling. And I'm, like, where, <laughs> where, uh, I, I. I'm going to throw hands every single time we see Cass in a car that's not either his truck or, or the Continental. So just this is my that's my that's my thought. But he he looked at the garage in the Men of Lunker's bunker and he was like, "That poor neglected soul over there. Aww. We're gonna take it out for some sunshine." <laughs> and you know, Sam probably was just gonna catch forty winks on the drive anyway. So like, whatever. The scenery doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so they pull up to the gas station. They get out of the car. Sam Sam's trench coat is out trench coating Cass's trench coat. <laughs> but it looks the, that good big, on him. The big brown bag, uh-huh. for lack of a better word. Oh, come on. Uh, Sam is fucking... Oh, uh, you're, uh, congrats on your face, Sam. Uh. <laughs> And yeah, so he climbs out and he's like, okay, so what are we thinking? Which, I mean, exploding heads could be a demon too. And while he's talking, he's yawning and Cass is just pointing out that Dean's right. (laughs) You know, Sam, you should really take a minute and rest here. But Sam's saying that he can't because the monsters won't rest. So, you know, plus we're down some hunters. I'm like, oh my God, don't make me think about that. Yeah, well, he says, I can't rest if the monsters won't rest. And then as he's pushing into the store and they have to put on their kind of FBI facade, where Sam is is, is essentially cutting off the conversation, he says, and plus, you know, we're down a few hunters. Yeah, I'm just going to throw that one out there as a non-sequitur. You can't tack anything onto there. Right. Cass can't follow up on that because we, we are in the drugstore and Sam already has his badge out and he's calling for Griffin. Yes. And so they approach him asking about the quote unquote incident and Griffin's like, oh, that's what we're calling it? Like he's immediately (laughs) scoffing at that. But he recounts this insane event of Conrad Martin running in, asking for the phone, and then went all scanners and his head popped off. Oh my god. And then Cass wanders over to aisle three where where Conrad died and Cass kind of tosses over his shoulders uh scanners one two or three like what am I looking at here and Griffin just is like the fuck and Sam is the fuck Sam's just like don't okay no no don't think about that don't listen to that let's just keep talking And Griffin points out that he thought maybe Conrad came from Charming Acres. You know, he kind of had the look of that place. And Sam's kind of asking, okay, so what 
look is that? And Griffin's yeah. just like, a weird one. And we, we, Buddy Holly, fucking Buddy Holly, we cut into Sam and Cass cruising. And, and again, you know what? We, Cass in both of these scenes is driving Sam. And I'm like, yes. Oh. I have such a soft heart when it's Cass who's driving them. I'm like, look how far he's come. I know. I know. Look how far he's fallen. But in a a good way. (laughs) I'm maxing out the lines here. No. No. Look how... Look how much growth. Look how integrated he is into the Winchester oh, family. I had so many thoughts about that later too. I just loved I love I love him driving. So he's they're going down fucking Main Street, the same Main Street that we saw Conrad uh, sprinting down in the opening scene. And, yep, and our point of view is inside of the car and we're uh-huh. looking at the sidewalk where all of the people, they're kind of dressed in the old fashioned coats and there's like some kids selling hot chocolate and there's no stoplights, just a man, a crosswalk attendant that is getting people to cross the street. And, and everyone who passes them says, hi, hi, Cliff, hi. And yeah, Cass and Sam are both sitting there like, what the fuck on their faces? And Cass is the one who points out, well, it's kind of like Saturday evening post. And (laughs) Sam is continuing to be like, okay, what? Yeah, two references in an hour? Holy (laughs) shit. But Cass is kind of a little defensive, but he Uh says that he finds them soothing to look at while everyone's asleep in the bunker. And I'm like, I love knowing how Cass fills his time. I know, I know. Um. (laughs) Yeah, I, I describe the music as whimsy oboe music. Whimsy about and um very happy days. This whole place is like quintessential happy days. So we uh, I think Cass just says, "Well, this is weird." <laughs> yeah, and like, should we call Dean? But Sam's holding his cell phone, and it's basically useless to him right now. He says, "No reception here," so no, we can't call him. Yeah, yeah. And so they pull over to the side, and Sam climbs out of the vehicle, and he basically knocks into this husband and wife named Justin and Cindy Smith. And they introduce uh, themselves. Justin Smith and his foxy wife, Cindy. Oh, my apologies, Cindy. <laughs> his his foxy wife and she's holding a a, a container of cupcakes and she's like oh she Aww, they they are both just like the, the guy's got the horn glasses and the slick back hair and he's got that the like the, the 50s well, he's hat got, on. like a, yeah the 50s hat like you're saying cindy has the intricate updo she's we're gonna be late for the bake sale justin and honey <laughs> the cupcakes are getting cold <laughs> And and Sam uh, tr- stops him. He says, "I'm sorry." Well, he says, "I'm sorry" when he bumps into them. But he's like, "Actually, actually, wait. Have you heard anything about the death in the area?" He, and and Justin's just like, "Oh man, a couple of G-men, aren't you?" Oh, this is swell. Like, holy shit. No, no, we're going to be late, so I can't really help you. But you should head over to Harrington's. And before they leave, Justin kind of takes an eye on to what Sam's holding and he's keen about it. And he goes, well, what is that? And Sam goes, this? I mean, it's a cell phone. And then it's like Justin becomes a fucking Pokemon. He's just, cell phone. Cell phone. Cell phone. 
cell phone. A cell phone. phone. <laughs> He's walking away. And I like that. That's very apt. Uh, uh, he's walking away with Cin- Cid- Cid- Cindy. He's walking away Foxy. with... I can't. I can't. Fuck. Okay. Cindy. He's walking away with Sydney. And, and he's just like a fucking... He's perplexed. A cell phone. Yes. And (laughs) Sam and Cass are looking after this couple as they walk away on the sidewalk. And I think it was Sam who said, okay, that was weird. And and Cass fucking turns to Sam and he's like, maybe they're Mormon? (laughs) Oh my god. Just his face too, like. I'm like, is Cass puzzled by Mormons? I'm like, this is so much fascinating insight. We're getting this. We're not even like 15 minutes in. Oh my god. So Harrington. Yes. Harrington's we could kind of see in the background where they were talking. And so they just hop over the street and head inside. Yep, yep, yep. And and we get this little like... Uh, uh, we're we're kind of at the POV of behind the counter with Sunny, the girl that we saw earlier. She's making these milkshakes. Um, and Sam and Cass come in and they approach the counter and Sunny right away plops down those two milkshakes that we saw her making. And it's a vanilla and a strawberry for Sam and Cass respectively. And, and was it she a vanilla? Says, I could have sworn it was chocolate. Nope, it was vanilla and strawberry. And she says, here you go. And and Sam is like, oh, oh. It, it, you know, he gets that full body, like, so many confused chicken Sam Yes, tails. yes. Just the, the puppy floppy ears kind of going on where he's looking yeah. back and forth like, what? Yeah. And it's like, no, no, no. We didn't order anything. And, and Sonny says, the first one's free. Yeah, and, and like we can see the sign and everything where like there's like $3 milkshakes, $2.25 floats, choose your own ice cream. And like, yeah, as they walk in and there is a jukebox playing, it just, it has 90 shades of weird going on here. Uh-huh. And the milkshake is just the cherry on top. Yeah, and and she says, everyone loves a milkshake. And they kind of are just like, totally perplexed but they say thanks and they sit down and they ask Sonny uh so how about that death (laughs) well not quite yet because we see like Sonny's put the milkshakes down but then this older man comes out from the back of the kitchen and he is about to give some instructions to Sonny but she preempts him with everything about this um, split that she's going to be making and blah 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 and then the man here he stops by behind Sonny and we can see on his name tag that it says Chip and he introduces himself as Mayor Chip Harrington and he keeps hearing about Sam and Cass even though they've barely been in town for five minutes. You must be the Flatfoots I've been hearing about b- Yes. B- been hearing about we've been here for five minutes. Yes. And yeah, so here we find he's the mayor. He acknowledges that, you know, the town's a little old-fashioned, but they take care of each other here, and so it's fucking swell. And Sam here name-drops Conrad, and Sunny, we see, takes note of this, even though she's not really participating in the conversation anymore. Mm -hmm. And 
Chip says what happened to Conrad is an aneurysm, but Cass corrects him, saying, no, his head exploded. <laughs> and the entire the entire uh, diner falls silent. And we see everyone in, in the background, like, staring at Cass, like, yes. what? And... And fucking Sam is like, no, 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 yeah. no, no. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's. And it's like, Kaz doesn't super, I would say he's not completely aware that he has everyone's attention or what that means. No. But he just goes, yep, like a ripe melon in the sun. And it's, oh my God, fucking Sam here. When when the diner goes silent and we see that like kind of long shot of the whole diner, we have Cass sitting at the counter just like nodding very like sympathetically and ner- and earnestly at Chip like I- I'm sorry for your loss kind of nod. Fuck, I'm like this is my heart right here. This idiot. Oh, I love him. I know. I yeah, know. Sam just jumps in and he's and he's like no no we're just looking to find out some more information about Conrad and so Chip offers. Well, we could tell you where he lives. Is that going to be good enough? And yeah, yeah, they'll take that cue. And I can't leave this scene without mentioning fucking Cass's face when he holds up the milkshake and he's just like, <laughs> "Thank mm, you." Yeah, this mm. is good. Like it, it's so Misha in that moment. And even though Sam is actually impressed with the way the milkshake went, Cass didn't have any. He's just like, yeah, great. And that's that's right now. <laughs> yeah, Sam does take a, sh- a sip of his vanilla, and he's like, he does a double take at his cup. He's like, oh, damn, that's good. Yeah, that's good, good job, guys. Good stuff. Fuck, yeah. Oh, my God, Cass, this whole scene, this whole episode. The, it, see, Cass... <sighs> This whole we we we're like basically just running through the scenes here, but uh, the the reason that I love this episode so much is that it's more cast than we have had a fucking ever in a and single like, episode. And like dimensional cast too. Yeah, because a lot of what we've seen this season, and like not to complain or anything, but we see him as more the parental role or the supportive role, and here he is still being that person but he is also getting these sarcastic quips he's getting these lines he's he's something that is invoking reaction in the people around him rather than playing the support role rather than just the background character who says i didn't know dogs ate breakfast he's not <laughs> a fucking one-liner character yeah he's multi-liners happening here <laughs> And he's being so, like, fucking dynamic this episode in a way that he doesn't get to be very often because he really is just usually the the one-liner guy. And, and but, but, but here in this episode, he's, like, more expressive and more dynamic of a character than we have seen in a very long time, and I so very appreciate it. Oh, yeah. It's so refreshing. So Chip, he's can give them directions, and he points them to Mrs. Dowling's boarding house, established 1947. <laughs> and it's it's this pink, I'm going to call it Victorian. It's a pink Victorian, yeah. and they park out front of it, and as they climb out of the vehicle, Cass is defending his apt melon metaphor, and um, Sam is not <laughs> as enthusiastic about it, but he gets a bit distracted by this smiling couple that's walking by with this big mastiff dog between them, and 
there's also the moment that the music and the camera is telling us how picturesque this is and Cass even comments on it saying, you know, this place is so strangely picturesque. But yeah. Sam just calls it nice. Yeah, yeah. And and we approach this house. It's so pink and I love it a lot. But <laughs> he, we approach the door We and before we can even knock on the door, a woman opens up and says, hello, agents. And Sam and Cass share a look and they're like, uh, uh, and... And the woman, who is Mrs. Dowling, um, she just kind of shrugs and says, she says the same thing that uh, Chip said, which is, it's a small town. Come on yes. in. Uh, let me show yes. you around. So initially, they were going to sweep this place for sulfur and hex bags. And I think that's still on the docket, but they are a bit thrown back by the fact that it doesn't seem they can go anywhere without someone already knowing who they are. Yeah, yeah. But Mrs. Dowling is being very hospitable. She's taking their coat. She's asking if they'd like some coffee. And and you see, we see, so we had that moment outside on the sidewalk where Sam says, I don't know, it's kind of nice. But here with Mrs. Dowling, just like being so hospitable and inviting and cheery, uh, it, you see in Sam's face, he's getting kind of endeared to this whole, like... Uh, community. Yeah, everyone's vibe. kind of so amiable and he is appreciating it considering his situation. Uh-huh. But we are hardly inside before we have cut back to Jack at the bunker. He's in the kitchen with Felix and he's putting some food in Felix's container in uh-huh. sort of this very methodical fashion. And Dean, he has his duffel bag as he walks by in the hallway, but he pauses, he comes back in, and he calls it a science project that Jack's doing, you know? Yeah. Is Felix all right? And and Jack says, I, he's not eating. I, I don't I don't know. I, and Dean says, does he like bacon? And Jack just gives him a look. And, like, and do, do snakes like bacon? Dean, well, Dean I like shrugs. bacon. Well, yeah, yeah. Dean's fucking face. Well, well, I like bacon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, who doesn't like bacon? If the snake doesn't like bacon, it's a fucking idiot. Like, I would like to say that Jack has all these bowls laid out, and we see some fruit. We see some sort of meat. Uh, but yeah, but I saw the- some chicken tenders that looked like they were maybe <laughs> oh boiled <my> or something. <laughs> but the thing that we do cut in on Jack placing into the terranium is uh, a cookie crisp piece of cereal is it a cookie crisp it's a I, cookie crisp i couldn't figure it out i was looking at this shit and i was like is that like fava beans like what the fuck no it's a cook we zoom in on it as we exit the scene it's a cookie oh crisp god. piece of oh cereal oh my god <laughs> and yeah dean he sees the containers that are on the table and he picks up the one of the traditional white takeout boxes and he kind of sniffs at it and as he He's talking and he opens it. His voice breaks when he <laughs> discovers live mice inside and like hastily puts it back down. And he was trying to invite Jack out on a drive and Jack immediately jumps to, oh, that's a hunt, right? And he yeah. goes, oh, no, it's more like a field trip. Yeah, yeah. And, and Jack's like, he just kind of shrugs and says, okay. And then Dean just kind of shrugs and he says, 
cool. He wraps his knuckles on the counter and says, I'm making some bacon. Yes. It's like it, he got it. Okay, I'm hungry now. And then <laughs> he looks at the mice and he's like, okay, that wasn't good, but I'm still hungry. So, <laughs> so, so, so Jack acquiesces to this field trip, quote unquote yes. field trip. Yes. And we cut back to uh, the Dowling place, and and uh, Mrs. Dowling is showing Sam and Cass around the room that Conrad was staying in while he was staying at this boarding house. And and she said he was such a nice boy. He's only here for a couple of weeks, and uh, Sam kind of puts forth, um, do you have a lot of people come through here? And she says, not people. <laughs> Very stern. Not people, men, young men only. It's not proper for a young woman to be living on her own. Morals, you must have morals. She says, yes, you know. (laughs) Well, she she says morals. You know, you've you've got to have morals. And then she gives looking at Cass. (laughs) Yeah, she gives Cass a little one two, and she says, you know. And he's just looking back at her confused. And I'm like, I'm looking back at her confused. Like, what does it mean? Does she feel that he lacks morals? Does she uh, pin him? I, I, I hate this line because I, I am no more illuminated than I was a year ago when this fucking episode aired. Like, it was like four months ago, Remy. You can't do this to me. I know time is a flat circle and it's entirely an illusion that we're fucking (laughs) mired within. But it was only like four months ago. No. Four and a half months ago. No. Did this... March 14th is when it aired. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like Netflix, okay? Supernatural season 14 doesn't just drop in October and... (laughs) Time, what is time? <laughs> so, anyways, oh my god, oh, I'm, I, I'm yeah, having this... fucking heart palpitations because it, it, I cannot believe this episode only aired four months ago. <laughs> it's almost five months ago, if that's any comfort. No, fuck. I you. know it's not. I can't. I'm like, what is she saying here? Like, I just, I, I sit down here and I'm uh-huh. like. Is this the point where I break out my Tumblr post and I'm just like, I what exactly? What do you even write? I'm looking at the blinking fucking cursor of this. Oh, I know meta post that I want to write, but I don't know what it I'm is. I'm like, as soon as you mention morals, okay, that part right there, I immediately start like eyes emojiing at, and like, why uh-huh. does she single out? Cass as the one that is like, you know, and he is perplexed. He's like, no, I don't fucking know. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I feel like at the end of this episode, I'm going to talk about Cass being this other to this quintessential world. Right, right. Maybe something that, you know, you know. I'm like, everything <laughs> can be gay. Everything can be queer. But, oh my god. So, Sam um, interrupts this moment by Remy saying, interrupts this moment <laughs> to say, um, 
<clears throat> um, can I have some coffee? And she turns to uh Sam, of course, hun. And she she exits with Sam and fucking Cass with a little thumbs up. Like, oh, I know. A, like a little conspiratorial uh, wink and a thumbs up. Like, yeah. Okay. Sam kind of gives this look back to him. Like, okay, now you can search this place. Uh-huh. And. <laughs> Fucking Cass is being a little over the top, but no, yeah, I got it. I know. And so he starts searching the room. He he looks at, I don't know, he, he goes through the whole room. He sees the King James Bible in the bedside drawer. There's nothing in the closet. Everything is, you know, if Conrad did have belongings, they're certainly not here anymore. Mm-hmm. And Conrad didn't take anything with him. I took a very brief moment here to appreciate Cass with the Bible. Like, I don't really know the full, what his relationship is with the word of God or anything like that. But the fact that he looked at this as just another device where people could hide things, I thought was kind of interesting that there was no moment, I suppose, taken as an angel with the Bible and having any sort of relevance or reverence being given to it well let's look at like fucking season four episode two cast who says read the fucking bible <laughs> yeah uh, uh, angels or warriors read the bible and uh, all the heavenly angel like otherness is very much stem from the bible they do just quote the bible directly in in a lot of instances and we have cast with the bible and you're right it's just a second and then he closes it and he puts it away and then he moves on to the next you know possible hiding yeah spot. he's he's not even like holding it open and flipping through it carefully he's just straight up holding it and like flips through okay nothing's mm-hmm. falling out of the pages put it back yeah 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 but what about under the bed yeah well under the bed, under the mattress, he finds this stack of cards. And the very top one, you can see the envelope has a lipstick kiss on it. We can see Conrad's name on it. So, hmm, eyes hmm. emoji. Think that there might be something here? Uh, fucking Sam comes back in with the world's tiniest teacup. I, yes. I, I called it the comically tiny cup inside my notes. I love him so much. We have... Uh, Sam is fucking ginormous, and he's holding this little bitty uh, coffee teacup. Um, and, and he's like, did you find anything? And uh, Cass is sitting on the bed, and he's flipping through these letters, and he says, y- y- yeah, these are um, surprisingly passionate love letters from from sunny the milkshake waitress and and sam makes the grave mistake of saying what do you mean passionate and cass says fucking cass well she seems to spend a lot of time uh, describing the uh shape and heft of his and of his hand gesture yes Cass is holding up his hand in a little cupping motion. And there's Sam a bit of fondling like, to the air happening here. Okay, I'm sorry I asked. All right, all right, all right, all right. Oh well. my god. And yeah, I just sit here for a moment and I'm like, is this the moment where Misha gets to make Jared break character? <laughs> like, or is it just a struggle for him too? 
I, this whole episode, I love this episode so much. We we have Cass rifling through these letters, and Misha, your hands are fucking A++. I, your hands are so fucking big, I hate them. So, we... <laughs> Meat mitts. And then he makes this little, like, cupping motion, and Sam nopes Shuts out of that, that one. Right <laughs> Sam nopes out of that one, and Cass says, so... Sonny wrote these, we should talk to Sonny. And Sam says, yeah, 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 we'll uh, get on that tomorrow. <laughs> and Cass is kind of taken aback, like, tomorrow? Yeah, first thing in the morning. But Sam goes, you know, it's getting late, we need some rest, and let's just take a moment and be like, who is this man? Like, uh-huh. the one who just took three cases in a row, who is like, what is sleep? Just at, like, four o'clock when they showed up in this town. And then here he is saying, you know... We could take it easy tonight and he wants to stay because mrs dowling is making pot roast for supper uh-huh uh-huh and, and he says pot roast with such enthusiasm i love it he's like mrs dowling's making a pot roast and we cut from that directly to a close-up shot of this beautiful beautifully presented pot roast on a platter uh, a woman is carrying it out of a kitchen and we pan up and it's not mrs Dowling, it no, it's Cindy. Is Cindy Smith of the Mr. and Mrs. Smith from before? Yes. So she sets the pot roast down in the dining room on the table, and Justin is there, kind of rifling through drawers, and he still is chatting again, like fucking a Pokemon, Pokemon. <laughs> phone. Cell phone. cell phone, and he's just looking through drawers, and you can tell, like, he is looking for a cell phone. And he is kind of narrating as he is drawing out these two words. But he says that he bought one in Houston for his daughter, Rose. And he starts breaking up. Like, he stops falling for whatever their environment is. Yeah. And he looks to Cindy and asks who she is. What is he doing here? And he says, like, this isn't my house. And Cindy, this whole time, is just like, honey, what's wrong with you? Like, yeah. what's wrong? We don't have and a daughter. What are you... Are, are you okay? Well, yeah. She doesn't even say that much. She doesn't even say, are you okay? She just says, honey, sit down for dinner. Yeah, and Justin is just not participating in this. He runs out of the house, and he kind of goes down the sidewalk a little bit and Cindy follows outside. She gets to the end of where they're sidewalk meets the main sidewalk and watches him as he runs off and he reaches the tree line and kapoof his his head explodes and cindy watched this whole thing and she's just standing there briefly for a moment then honey yeah yeah honey yeah but it's just genuinely like honey are you all right I laughed when when she's standing there on the sidewalk and she just fucking saw her husband running down the street screaming and his head explodes. She sees the whole thing and and she just kind of she has like this moment where she almost resets and she cocks her head and she says, "Honey, Oh my gosh, yeah. And like the reset, that's a great I that's a great way of putting it because she does feel almost robotic. Like you get a very Stepford vibe from her. And it's also like she 
she felt a little bit like a Cindy Lou Who. Like she uh-huh. just the whole look, she has this very vintage angelic appearance but it also has this level of innocence that i'm like has she been reprogrammed a buttload because if this is what happens when justin comes out from the depths of his illusion how deep is cindy in there right now right right she she's not even phased by what's happening no but holy shit questions have been raised (laughs) and we got no time we got to go back we got Dean and Jack in the Impala with Felix in the backseat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know why Felix is there, but... Well, I road guess... Road trip. Well, road trip. You're right. You're right. If we're going, you know, seven hours to Indiana and then seven hours back, you know, Jack probably didn't want to leave him when he's feeling... Out of sorts. Yeah, if you're worried that your pet's not eating, you don't really want to be like, bye, pet. Especially when uh-huh. we've seen of Jack so far that he's really focused on making sure that this snake feels better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have Dean and Jack, and the first thing Dean says is, hey, you should grub down. You know, it's going to be another few hours. And and Jack says, I'm not hungry. And Dean is groping for something to keep the conversation going. And he turns to the snake, and he says, well, why don't you feed the snake something? And Dean pulls out from this like little grocery bag in between them on the bench seat in the front to... Like little Debbie snack cakes. Yes. And he tosses them he tosses them to Jack and it's a angel food cake, little Debbie, and a devil's food cake, little Debbie. Oh my gosh. God bless. And Dean says, eh, I wonder if you would like one of those. And fucking Jack, he looks at the two cakes in his hands and he says, um, I don't think that you have a very good grasp on what snakes eat. And, and Dean, he just kind of like full body shrugs. So yeah, nah, nah. Oh, he is just like such the awkward dad right now. And I was trying to pin down why. And I think that it was a little bit of a combination of okay he and Cass when they were talking he knows now okay Jack looks up to me like oh shit there's standards that I now have somehow like a bar has been set that Jack is measuring me against and not only that but Cass also has put a lot of faith in Dean being like oh like you can figure this out you dealt with Sam when he was soulless before you'll be able to do this and so I feel like Dean was just has these two sides of expectations on him that he is like, oh, no, no, this is too much responsibility. I got to bail somehow. I I really agree. And I think that it could easily be played off as, you know, Dean's nervous that there's a snake in the backseat because we uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but, but Dean is very obviously not comfortable around this snake. He no. has some established, like fear of snakes but <laughs> um but it, it, it's not that because dean says yeah yeah uh, uh, so a snake huh uh, uh that's cool yeah i always thought snakes were pretty cool and he and then he just like turns away from jack and he's just he's like, like what the what? fuck wait who just said that 
It's total, like, awkward dad trying to find some thread of connection with your son. (laughs) I'm living. (laughs) He's, like, again, scrambling for some, like, conversation topic. I genuinely felt like he was just like, what can I say that is not going to reflect badly on the snake? Because Jack likes snakes. And so if I like the snake, then Jack thinks I like him. Like, it just felt like that level of really basic logic that was going on. Because Dean follows it up by saying, you know, it's not the snake that's dangerous. It's the bite. (laughs) And Jack goes, okay, that's a saying? And Dean's like, it's a saying now. And Dean is just the most awkward dad. I, uh, really, I, he really is. I loved the little snake line just because it wasn't like, I don't know, it was just Dean trying to, so how was your debate club meeting? <laughs> on the and, tr- and also just being like, you know, it it's not the thing, It it's what the thing does, you know, like... What what do you do, Jack? Like that trying to dig for information, this quest oh, that, so that uh, Cass has put him on. And he's just like, the spotlight's on me and I'm feeling it. Like if you had just asked, okay, you know, like look after Jack, I might have done these things naturally. But knowing now that there are these expectations that I have to fulfill, I'm super awkward under them. Yeah, just like you said, Cass has said that Jack looks up to Dean and Cass is putting that trust in Dean that he can, you know, uh, make some headway with Jack. So Dean, oh my God, he nods over to the, uh, the little Debbie cakes that Jack is still holding. He says, you know, why don't you eat one of those? I know you're not hungry, but why don't you eat something? And holy fuck. Fuck. I- Okay, we talked about this a lot when it first aired, but I was like, it was so awkward. I just can't even, like, look at the scene head on because, oh, Dean. Oh, honey. So, Dean loved (laughs) is intently, like, uh, watch the fucking road, buddy. (laughs) We see Jack shuffling around these, these fucking Jaffa cakes and in big bold letters up on the front, angel food cake versus devil's food cake. And Jack is trying to decide which one he's going to eat. And Dean is putting so much like fucking weight on the decision. I know. (laughs) Basically chocolate or vanilla, chocolate or vanilla. Good versus evil, chocolate or vanilla. Uh Uh-huh. And Dean is very unsubtly sneaking glances and we have this drawn out moment of quote unquote suspense where Jack is debating between the devil's food and the angel's food. And he eventually just puts the devil's food back in the bag and tears open that angel's food cake. And Dean lets out the biggest sigh of relief. The deepest sigh of relief happens here. Yeah. Yeah. Because, okay. Okay. (sighs) Oh, The kid's good. He likes angel food cake. Yeah, he turns back to the road and he's like, cool. Yeah, mission fucking accomplished. (laughs) It was so, (laughs) so fucking funny. Like, we even had in the score, the music like swelling with this dramatic tension, except it was Jack debating over a couple of fucking little Debbies. Oh, 
But, it, you know, Dean has such a powerful relationship with food. And, like, we hear him speak so much about, like, <laughs> oh, you know, like, you got to go pie, pie over cake. Like, he has this whole hierarchy of things that he enjoys. And so I feel like it is just really apt for him to try and, oh, you know, I'll suss it out using food. It's That's like- not to say that it it's scientific or at all going to give him an actual result, but it just felt very in character for him. It, it it did, and I think that in this moment you also like feel the weight of his. I I don't know in a humorous way. It's like it, Dean really is trying to suss out uh, how. Yes. <laughs> how he's trying to live up to Cass's expectations, and we're like, "Oh, Dean, honey, no!" <laughs> because it, it's so cute, though. It's so cute, so funny. Uh, God bless. So, speaking of the Cass, kids, are all right. The kids are all right. Speaking of Cass, yes. speaking of Cass, we have Cass at Dowling's. Cass and Sam were boarded up in separate rooms, as is proper. Um, and Cass is going to wake up Sam, but Sam's room is empty, vacant. Yes. Yes. So Cass is prowling Dowling's. He goes downstairs and starts calling for Sam, but all he sees is Mrs. Dowling with her iPod. I'm like, eyes emoji at that one. Uh And she has a rolling vacuum and she's just bopping along as she's cleaning. And Cass has to shout to get her attention. She's like, oh, are you hungry? I made Johnny cakes. And again, I'm like, eyes emoji. But yeah, Uh, yeah, we what what the fuck are Johnny cakes? Because I know that you looked them up later. I looked them up four months ago. Yeah. What the fuck are Johnny cakes? I think they're just basically like cornbread. Uh Uh-huh. Cornmeal flatbread. Yep, yep, yep. And Cass says, no, no, thank you. Um, I don't eat. (laughs) Is that what he says? Yes. He's like, no, I don't eat. Oh, my God. I didn't didn't catch that. I just loved it. I was too distracted by the awkward hovering while she still had her headphones in. He was like, excuse me, ma'am. And I was just like, (laughs) ma'am. Um, so... Uh, he says, no, I'm looking for my partner. And Mrs. Dowling says, oh, the very nice, very tall fellow. And Cass, who's he's he's just like, oh, God, this is, yeah. Okay. Yes, that one. Yeah, that guy. And so Sam has gone out for a walk and a milkshake. And so Cass is perplexed by this decision making, but he decides he's going to drive to Harrington's. Yeah, that's the only thing. It's like, Sam knows that Cass doesn't sleep. So, I mean, did he just decide to go investigate Sunny without Cass? I was thinking about this. And I feel like for Sam, he was, like, what this sequence is doing for us is giving us a little insight into the fact that he is trying to do sort of the normal routine that he sees everyone around him doing. And so he probably woke up alone and didn't want to go and necessarily get cast and get back on the case. Because, I mean, not to fault Cass or anything, but he does have, like, the one-track mind when it comes to this. He's, there is a problem, there has been a death, and we need to solve it. But it's Sam who's a bit more enamored with the trappings of this place, and who wants to, you know, I'm gonna 
take a moment to walk through the neighborhood that's so picturesque and I'm going to go get a milkshake and I'm going to do these things on my own where I can kind of pretend that I'm not here because of a case and I'm not here because I'm a hunter and an agent. I'm just going to enjoy the neighborhood for a moment. Yeah, and it's really just because... And I'm trying to put quotes around just because, but (laughs) just because my life sucks doesn't mean that, you know, the world sucks and this is what we're protecting. This is nice, you know? Yeah. And I feel like the subtext here is that, you know, I could just pretend for a moment that this is my life. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Dowling has pointed Cass towards Harrington's, and so Cass drives to Harrington's. And I noticed, I'm like, this is going to go back to my Tumblr post, blah, 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 (laughs) mindset. But when Cass drives up and he parks this Ford piece of shit, and it's still super dusty. and Now there's a bird poop on the window, like the passenger rear, or sorry, the driver rear window. Now has this long thing of bird poop on it. Oh my god. and, like, it's it's very pointedly in the shot when Cass climbs out of the vehicle and heads towards Harrington's. And he gets inside there. And Sunny, she has come out from the back to dress tables. She's the only one in here. And Cass immediately starts asking for Sam, his partner. And she essentially says that Sam left when he found out some more information that Justin Smith had died the night before. You can't gloss over Cass walking in and saying, I, I'm looking for my partner, and Sonny turns around confused, and she says, the tall man? And Cass rolls his eyes again and says, yes, the very tall man. Yes. Oh, my God. It's the running gag thing, yes. And you're right. I am remiss to have not pointed <laughs> this out. And, <laughs> and but but yeah, Sonny says, yeah, he was here earlier this morning, but when he heard about the Smiths, uh, he left. And and Cass says, what happened at the Smiths? And we cut over to Cass at the Smiths. Yes, Cass is knocking the door there and Cindy answers and she recognizes him and invites him inside, offers him a ma- martini. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so Cass cuts to the chase once again. He's saying, you know, I'm looking for my partner. The tall man. Hair? Has beautiful hair. (laughs) Well, again, Stepford wife, Cindy. Uh, Cass comes in and and he says, I'm looking for my partner. Cindy just like blank eyed staring at him. Yeah, just no clue. He says, the tall man? And she cocks her head a little further like, hmm? And and then Cass is like racking his brain. He says, "Hair, hair. Uh, he beautiful, has beautiful, beautiful hair. He has beautiful hair." And she's just she gives a little giggle and she says, "I'm sorry." <laughs> and like like Cindy is the audience at this point, but it's like it's so good. It's so good. She's wonderful. She's selling this wholeheartedly. She really is. And 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 Cass is just confronted with this person who is, you know, as he noted earlier, really fucking weird. And Cass himself being really fucking weird, <laughs> Cass Cass just like raises his head to the ceiling. He says, "Ah, okay, this is complicated." Uh, and 
And he tries... I don't even know. Tell me what happens after this, because... Well, yeah, so Cindy has no clue, and Cass goes to sit down in just what looks like a leather armchair. But Cindy hollers, and he just jumps right up, like, oh my god, like, I hit some sort of emotion (laughs) button within this woman, because she just went from 0 to 11, stat. Cass tries to sit down, and she, like, that, that... Again, like this robotic uh, just reaction. She, uh, well, she, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to subject you guys to that. I'm sorry. You, you she, don't want to do a Yanshi Banshee Shriek 2.0? She, sh- <laughs> she screams. She says, n- she says no. Uh, and Cass leaps up from his half sit into this chair and, and, um, like Cindy fucking resets and she says, That's my husband's chair. She's all yeah, smiles. So again. sweetly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Cass is just like, Okay. Well, I think he's like, Oh, she's taking his death hard. Like he's yeah. kind of writing it into this bereavement status. And he segues into that, you know, I'm sorry for what happened, your husband's death, and she laughs. And she's yeah. like, I think that you're confused. Like, did you have your <laughs> martini already? <laughs> and and uh, Cass is just like, no, I'm not confused. Uh, and you see him pulling back from the, his head exploded. <laughs> you see him yes. say. He's like, Sam told me this isn't the right way to put it. So I'm right. going to find a different way. Right. He, he, not his head exploded. He, he passed late last yes. night <laughs> yes. and he's asserting himself and cindy's asserting herself like yeah. they both are convinced no, no no justin didn't die and she hear we hear this voice coming from a, out at a distance and it's this honey type thing again uh-huh. and justin approaches but we see Cass going through these bewildered facial expressions because it's not Justin, it's Sam. And here we have Sam with the horn rim glasses, with the man bun, with this maroon <laughs> burgundy sort of cardigan going on. And he extends his hand out to do introductions and casts, you know, he still thinks that they are playing their agent roles. So he goes, agent. And <laughs> Sam is like, okay, that's kind of weird. But yeah, Justin. And Cass is like, okay, that's kind of weird. And they're both... Oh my god, it's so I... good. It's so good. Cass winks at him and just says, you know, your partner. And this quote unquote Justin is like, okay, weird. And <laughs> invites Cass to stick around for pot roast and kisses Cindy's cheek and holds her close. And oh my god, she goes and <laughs> she's gonna make him the martini. Oh. <laughs> Remy, how are you doing? Do you want me to keep going? <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. I forgot. I forgot. As I said, we are now approaching the Smith house. I forgot to say. And here comes the best scene in the entire episode. Oh, my God, Jared. This oh my God. is what he was made for. 
He's like, I get to try and make you break character, and every one of my <laughs> attempts can make it on screen. <laughs> and this, oh. when quote unquote Justin walks out of the parlor into the living room to confront Cass, and we see fucking I don't I don't even know if I should say Sam or Jared, but we see <laughs> fucking Sam. With the cardigan and the tie and the checkered shirt and the horn rimmed glasses, the, f- the, the, the ponytail, the man bun. It's a ponytail. It's, it's not- very tiny. I. Mm. It's not a bun. I refuse to believe. It's a tiny little. Ah, okay. What would you- okay? The rat tail. Should I call it that? And the little. And the little ponytail, or man bun, whatever you want to call it. So this is the point when I pause, and I am laughing. I was gonna say scream, which is like true, but <laughs> it's a it's a joyous scream because I am laughing my fucking ass off because this is the moment. That I have been waiting for for 15 years. Jared, Sam, oh, with a ponytail. And then it gets better. So, so just, just as we see him, I'm already freaking out. But then Sam fucking, Jared fucking start. I don't know what to call him. You don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. But he starts fucking talking and it gets so much better because you see sam you see jared sam sam's gone it's justin now but you see jared just having so much fun with it oh my god yes and like it's kicked off with cindy here going to go make this martini and comes back saying you know i think that we're a little short on olives how many do you want one or two and he's and justin goes three Oh, you're adventurous and <laughs> they growl at each other. Oh my god. They are oh my god. When when Cindy says, Oh hun, we're low on olives and Jared F- Justin, excuse me. Justin's is just oh, that is terrible. Cass is just back and forth looking at Cindy and Sam, and he is so confused. He yeah, he just something terrible. Something happened. has happened. It was like it was pretty much up until this point. He thought that you know Sam was just playing a part, but no, Justin has taken over, and. The the roar and the ponytail and the oh. and and Cass is just trying as Cindy is off making this martini. Cass is trying so hard to to break through to Sam to say, "You are not Justin. This is not your house." And snap the hell out of it. And snap the hell out of it. And then Justin starts wagging his finger. And he says, sir, you watch your mouth. If you cannot be civil, then you can skedaddle. 
I, I can't even, I can't do it justice. I can't. I can't. No, because this is pure Jared. It's- this is Jared with horn glasses being given the opportunity to fucking try and make us laugh as hard as I'm, we can. I, I am dying this whole scene and and justin like like herds uh cast outside and Cass is trying to it's this great sequence of justin saying sydney get his hat and sydney's uh, no well yeah justin Cindy, grab his hat, Cass. I don't have a hat. And Cindy, honey, I don't think he had a hat. I don't think he wore a hat. <laughs> and and uh, Justin is just guiding Cass to the door and pushes him outside. And he says, he reiterates to say again, we do not use such language here. And you can get the H-E double hockey sticks out of here. And just cast the moment after this door shuts and he's standing there and he's just like H-E double hockey sticks? Like, <laughs> oh my god. So good. It's so good. It's so good. I, I'm i sorry for my freak out. I'm sure that was uh, absolutely uncomprehensible but <laughs> <laughs> I love this scene. It, it's, it's such a fucking highlight. Jared is selling it. 110%. I will never be over the ponytail. It was just, oh, oh. And like I said, I it's the moment we have all, uh, knowingly or not, been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> we have been blessed with the back-pulled hair. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> and scene. And scene. Dean and Jack pulling up to Donatello's house. Donatello's yes. place. Yeah, and Donatello comes bounding down the stairs. He says he's just this pitcher of health, except for his prostate. <laughs> and fucking Dean here just, wow. Like, yeah, yeah. That was more information than I ever signed up for. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Donatello definitely knows to be expecting them and knows why, why they're here. And he says, come in, come in. And, um... It's Jack that's surprised. He's like, yeah, oh, the road yeah. trip? This is what we were doing? And yeah, Dean just offers it straight up. And he says that we're worried about you. And I'm like, I know who the we is in this sentence because Sam right. has had a one-track mind. Right, right. And um, he, you know, he, you're right. He is very straight with Jack and says, um... This whole soul situation, we're worried about you, and I'm no expert, and this is Dean's plan, this is Dean's intuition, because he said to Cass at the beginning, like, I I don't know any more than you do. I did not do good with Sam, you know, when he was soulless. I didn't even realize he didn't say this, but I am drawing for this. Like, it took me eight months to even realize he, the kid didn't have a soul. Like, I'm not... <laughs> I don't know what's up, but but, uh, you know, uh, so, so Dean is bringing Jack to someone who does know what's up, and and Dean says as much, and yeah, Don- that he he's not an expert. Donnie is their next closest one. You know, he he knows about souls and their absences, so hopefully he will have something that will be helpful to Jack. Right, right, and Donatello says, "Come on in," and um. 
Dean, you know, wants to give them some distance. I I didn't know if I should read this as Dean being uncomfortable with it, or I just think it was Dean knowing that um, Jack needed some distance, but to I be able to... I think it was a bit like Jack needing his own thing, you know? He doesn't need a pair of extra eyes on him here. So, we're gonna... Uh, let Jack have his space and Jack follows Donnie into the house and and Dean like okay my only thought here was like oh my god this car is so freaking big (laughs) it's just to see Dean just kind of like uh, setting up camp against the Impala that car is so big yeah, because he starts off close to where the rear view window mirror is on the passenger side. And then he just nudges himself along the way towards the nose of the vehicle. And it takes him a bit of time to get along. He he, he goes up to the Impala to kind of, like I said, settle in for the long haul uh, as, as Jack and Donnie are going to have their little talk. Um, yeah, he uses the excuse that he's going to keep Felix company. Yeah. And when he comes up to the Impala pala kind of bangs on the roof of it just to see how the snake will react jumps back in case it reacts negatively and no it's a snake it doesn't care but (laughs) he's wary enough that he's gonna sit as far away as he can on the outside of the vehicle as he waits yeah 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 and we do have donatello and jack in donatello's kitchen and Donatello sets out these uh, fucking soup bowls of coffee mugs. And that he- <laughs> is the appropriate size for any sort of hot beverage cup. <laughs> they are as big as my head, but he sets out two coffee appropriate mugs. Appropriate sized. And he pours some coffee and he basically, they're like on either side of this kitchen island and Donatello is like, so. <laughs> How are things? Yeah. And, and, you know, Dean had said, okay, so Donatello doesn't have his soul. We can't relate, but if you do have questions, this is the the guy to ask them of. And Jack, for his, like, to his credit, he does, you know, open up to Donatello. He does come out and ask, what does it feel like? What, what does it mean to not have a soul? And Donatello breaks out his galaxies metaphor. I know you love it, so I'll let you take it. <laughs> yeah, Donnie and his galaxy metaphor here. Like, <laughs> he he's definitely throwing optimism out there and just seeing what sticks. You know, he's saying that when Amara took his soul, it wasn't his best day, but it wasn't his worst day. And, you know, he's kind of like a galaxy in that... It's the first thing on his mind when he's staring at his coffee cup with the cream slowly filtering in. Yeah. Galaxies, he says, are shiny, but they have this black hole in the middle. And in a similar fashion, he feels like he's this bright bubbly outside, but inside is just this absence. This emptiness where he feels nothing. And that's what Jack is kind of trying to figure yeah, what that yeah. means. Jack asks, so you're sad? And Donatello says, not sad, not anything. It's just an absence. And 
And he, Donatello asks, how do you feel? And Jack says, I don't, I don't know. You know, we can't know, but uh, that's basically what it's all boiling down to. But he says, I know I don't feel nothing, but I also don't know what nothing feels like. Yeah. So how would I know? Yeah. Yeah. And he says, mostly, I just don't want Dean, Sam, and Cass to worry. And Donatello, he, he, he says, well, they're your family. They're families worry. Um, but when I do, I, when I do need to pass as normal, when I need to fake it till you make it, he asks himself the question, what would Mr. Rogers do? tears in my eyes and this is another point when i pause netflix and i say oh no we've gone to some deep loamy heart soil and we're seeing what has grown there and and jack says who's that and uh, uh, donatella just says he's the greatest man i know and i'm like oh hit two okay yes and Jack says, well, Sam and Dean are the greatest men I know. And (laughs) that's when we break out the WWWD. What would the Winchesters do? Donatello says, this is what you ask yourself when you, you know, when you're unsure. If you, when you need a compass to guide you. uh, Yes. What would the Winchesters do? Yeah, if you don't have your own principles that you can kind of dig up in these moments, then consider what they would do. And I'm like, oh, honey, child, no. No! No. I mean, your heart's in a good place, but no. (laughs) Ask yourself what a therapist would do. Like, I thought it was a sweet moment. It is sweet, but I am also like... You are guiding him askew. <laughs> no, it was I, beautiful. The, it was wonderful. You, you, you get on me about skipping over thing. Okay, here's me on you. You <laughs> glossed over the fact that Jack says that he needs time and space to figure himself out. But uh-huh. he's not getting it here. He feels like every moment he has someone looking over his shoulder to see how he's doing. So he's feeling really stifled and like he doesn't have the opportunity to just do like what Sam is doing, like go take that walk, get that milk, get the brief respite in a life that is not yours so that you can return to yours with perspective. Jack is feeling frustrated that this is happening. And I'm like, oh my God, he's jumped straight from toddler into teenhood. You're, you're just, uh, fuck, you're right, because I didn't think about that, and that when we do bring up the WWWD, it's, it's on the tail of Jack saying, I need a way to avoid my father's. Like, just give me some autonomy. Like, he hasn't ever really requested that before. And so I don't even think he really realizes that that's what he's doing. Well, uh, 
Because because he he wants to hide it though. That's what he's been doing. And fact of the matter is, he's been doing it poorly enough that his family wants to you know dig in until they get to the root of it. But there is a problem at the root of it, and he is hiding it, and he wants to hide it just like he was hiding that cough uh, all season. And and when he says as much to Donatello, Donatello comes back with, well, when I want to blend in, when I want to, you know, pass as human, then I fake it. You know, I ask myself, what would Mr. Rogers do? And he's just giving Jack the tools to continue to deceive his family. Is it Jack? I mean, that's a really bleak way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm sitting here right away. I'm like, I, I don't. It, it it is a bit of Jack wanting to hide it, but it is also like it. It reminds me of say when I'm in a really bad mood, and the last thing that I need sometimes is to have the people around me really needling at it and being like, "Well, why are you at a bad mood? Like, what is it that's upsetting you?" Because yeah. as, there's sometimes where you're just like, "I don't know." And the more I'm trying to hone in on this, the less I'm going to have perspective, the less I'm going to have the answer, but the more upset I'm going to be about it. Yeah, because you don't need people crowding you out. Yeah. Yeah. There's just some times where it's like nothing is really going to give you perspective besides time and distance. And I feel like that is what Jack really doesn't have the vocabulary to tell his dad's right now but if he did it would be along that lines of like i am okay i'm not bad i'm not great but i need some distance to figure this out and if i am having troubles trust me that i will reach out to you i i really like that we got to this point on jack's because jack not jacks that's my dog (laughs) um on jack because uh because i didn't think about it that way when i was watching this episode and i and it is you know thematically going to tie into um sam's you know final Mm -hmm. thoughts on this episode Mm -hmm. His his uh, conclusion to this episode. So, yeah, I'm I'm kind of okay. Okay, you brought me back around. It's not <laughs> his lack of empathy, just trying to shrug off this concern. It's uh, it's more that he needs the space and the time to figure himself out because he just doesn't know. Yeah, and like Cass said at the beginning, you went through some huge changes. Like you killed Michael, you consumed his grace, you got your powers back. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah. And Jack is just like, I I don't know because the he doesn't have the life experiences to kind of sit down and compare against what he knows. And so he really does need some ability to just take it on his own time and dismantle it in his own way and see what answers he comes up with because he just can't work within the current construct that he's given by his family. He's growing up. (laughs) 
And and let's look at uh, Jack and Donatello coming back out to Dean now in this next scene mm-hmm. where where I think Donatello, Mr. You know, their family, they're going to worry. Um, he comes to Dean. Jack goes to check on Felix in the car. And we have this moment with uh, Donatello and Dean. Dean and- just flat out asking like uh-huh. so does jack have a soul and yeah. donnie counters by going well first we gotta ask what really <laughs> is a soul and dean's just like like no we're not doing this <laughs> he, he 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 gives donatello it, a look is all it takes and donatello's like yeah okay okay well. i drew this straight mouth emoji right beside and said that, that was just <laughs> dean in that moment like mm. and uh Donatello says, you know, if he seems okay, then I think he's okay. Because I think that he has a good... Basically, what Donatello is saying is, I think he has a good head on his shoulders. And you need to, you know, trust him. And Donatello is basically telling Dean, like, trust him at his word. If, if, If Jack says he's okay, then he's okay. But that like underneath that one statement it's donatello kind of respecting jack's feelings on things and it's like jack just needs a little bit of space to know what to come back to his family with on on these things Mm -hmm. regarding Mm -hmm. himself and like i feel like donnie's answer for well first we have to ask ourselves what is a soul like we can take that as him being a little hokey but i also took it as being like you guys are really fixated on this one detail but that's not the measure of a person like if you're if that's the thing that you are saying is absolutely essential then like whoa you're making these conversation points at me like someone who doesn't have one so I really felt like it was not just, oh, kooky old Donnie can't stay on a subject. It was a bit of, like, take a second and reflect on this. Like, why are you so fixated on this one detail if you just talk to the kid and see, like, keep an eye out, but he's probably okay. And just yeah, have faith in that. I really love that that view on things. Like, I agree. Um, that's a good kind of analysis of the whole thing. Because, like you said, me uh, viewing this scene, you see Donatello throwing that line, and then Dean, like, uh-uh, uh, okay, no, yeah. come on, get to the point. Um, but-, but, yeah, I really do like that when given the task of, like, find out if... Jack has a soul. Like, holy shit. That this is where Dean went with it. He went and says, well, who do we know that would most be able to relate to Jack and where he is? Like, who would have the information? And then Dean brings him here and he leaves him space to go and talk with Donatello and have just the two of them hash things out on a level that Dean knows that he just doesn't know. And Dean not inserting himself into this conversation. He could have been the fly on the wall there, but he, I think that he knew that it would, his presence would be doing more harm than good. 
So he did remove himself from this whole conversation. Um, I, I and it wasn't cowardice. It was intuitiveness yeah exactly i was gonna say it was a level of intuitivity that you have just this intuition of what the people you care about need and when jack comes out he gets into the car and dean doesn't immediately bombard him instead he goes to johnny and asks him what his opinion is on things yeah yeah but I, I, I do think, like, Donnie was trying to be reassuring here. Like, he he didn't see the dark lining to this next thing that he says, where Jack is the most powerful being in the universe. Who knows what's going on inside of his head? And I think that line really shakes Dean. It yeah. moves him from this perspective he had up to this point of, you know, Jack seems to be struggling, let's help him out. And now all of a sudden the perspective has changed to Jack is like an unfathomable eldritch creature and could be having a bad time. And what are those consequences? Like all of a sudden the scales and the perspective change on Dean. And I don't think it changes in a good way. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Donatello does have this kind of almost throwaway, uh, not throwaway, but he does uh, put out this idea into the world that uh, Jack is the most powerful creature in all the universes. So who knows what's going on in his mind? And uh, I don't know, Donatello doesn't mean it maliciously, but I think that Dean it does kind of turn the situation on its side there where we go from this is you know a sam you know as a relationship a a family member who might be soulless and how do i deal with that someone that i care about that is lacking in empathy um versus oh, this is a all-powerful creature that is lacking in empathy. Yes. Yes. And, yeah, Don says this, and Dean turns around, like, a little shaken to go look at Jack, and Jack's sitting in the car, and he's waving and smiling. Like, nothing about Jack has changed, except Dean's perspective. I know! Uh, Fuck! (laughs) I know. And like, so like, I really feel that this is the moment right here that sets up the downfall of what is to come. This is the moment that is setting up what happens for the rest of the season. I, I didn't even think about that. Cause, cause when I saw it, I was just like, oh, Donatello delivers this line with like all this gravitas about how Jack is like of a God. And, Mm -hmm. and, God tier. And then Dean turns around and, and Jack is just uh, nougat sunned waving from the window. So it's like that undercut with <sighs> undercut with humor. But but if you do want to go deeper on it, like you're absolutely right. Dean is unsettled by this and I think his perceptions do change. Yeah. And it's it's really clever writing. It's really clever directing because it's like yeah. you're saying, you have that superficial level where you're like, oh, that's funny. And then we can also take it and go, holy shit, like, look at what this is representing now to Dean. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Dean is shooketh. 
<laughs> and we leave him on that note for now. We go back to Harrington's milkshake place. And Cass has gone in there to talk to Sonny. And he just, <laughs> he's taking no time for bullshit here. Yeah. He accuses her of being a witch and using that to brainwash Sam and the whole town. And she is kind of like, has a what's a what? And he holds out the love letters for Conrad and talks about how she begged him to leave. And he's going like, why? Because you were afraid you were going to hurt him? And she's like, no, no, no. And she tries to run out. But Cass grabs her and threatens her that if she doesn't tell him, he's going to pull it out of her mind. And I'm like, holy shit, zero to 11. Yeah. And and she shrugs him off or she... She says no, basically. She says, it's not me. It, 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 it's him. And Cass pulls back and he says him. And who'd have thunk Chip walks in the door? <laughs> yes. And he's totally godfathered out. Oh, my God. He's got three people flanking behind him. One of them is Sam as Justin. And I I do feel like what Sunny is doing in this moment is like she's just it's so instinctive for her to try and keep up the act and keep that as her defenses that even though Cass has come in and is all threatening that still is the instinct that she's falling on and here she is now with Chip having appeared and he is like you say going very godfather here threatening but in a very underhand subtle way And so Chip gives his rundown. He says that he's always had this kind of keen intuition, made him great at poker nights. And trouble really only started when the mill shut down and the town that he loved started dying with it. Let me me interject. Let me interject mm -hmm. here. It's like, of course it was the mill. I can practically hear the capital letters, like the mill. I was like, does Arkansas have like mills, (laughs) like paper mills? Is this, it's not a mine. We're just really leaning into that, like, fiction trope. Uh, Small town. I don't know. Everything would be fine if it wasn't for the damnable man shutting down the damnable thing. Uh, Yeah, I could practically hear the capital letters in the mill. So I loved it. I really liked it. This whole episode was just like, one cliche after another. I, I, we're going to talk about it after. Okay? okay. I swear to God. Because there's, <laughs> mm, there's uh, so much weight that comes whenever you are going to the 50s and treating it as this idyllic time. Oh, shit. Yeah. We're going to dig into that? All right. I'm here well, for it. Well, I'm like, I don't know how deep I can get before I'm like, oh, shit, I'm dumb. But <laughs> yeah, the the capital T, capital M, the mill shuts down, his wife passes away, and the world modernizes. And yeah. everything gets worse. And it gets worse because of the modernization, you know? Everybody's unhappy. And, okay, this is the part where I'm like, we need to discuss this because Chip says that he started, like, hearing voices and it got worse. And just one day he shouted out to the thing that he just wanted things to be better. And he imagined or he thought, I wish more people would go to the soda shop. And then the next day it happened. And that's essentially his 
origin as discovering himself as this mind control psychic, as Cass calls him. So, if you want to talk about it, I mean, I know that I watched this episode more than most just because it was so fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah. But, but I, I watched this episode a few times um, uh, right after it aired. And a little pea-brained me, I I didn't know what Harrington's, like, thing was. It, he said... The voices got louder, and and I just got to the point where the voices were so loud that I screamed to them, just make things better. And the next day, I discovered that I could control the people around me. Now, I thought that was a bit ambiguous, because, yes. because I I didn't know if those voices were like, we had just come come off the prophet thing. Were they angels? Was it demons? Was was it a deal that he made? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. I didn't know what he was, honestly. And and Cass says so. So a psychic that can control the minds of others. Um, I just don't think it was like. I don't think the groundwork was laid as well as it. I mean. again this is kind of like a monster of the week kind of thing where you didn't really have to lay too much groundwork but but i i came out of the episode confused on if he was hearing demons or angels or if he was a psychic um yeah it was the hearing voices thing more than anything that i felt really increased my ambiguity because the speech up to this point i'm like okay intuition and especially upon a rewatch i'm like okay i'm i'm getting these vibes yeah. and then it was just saying that these voices somehow became related to it that all of a sudden i was like okay take a step back what could that be it was yeah it was you who enlightened me that the voices were the thoughts of the townsfolk and me to you yeah it was a plus to me (laughs) it was you were the one you were the one who clued me in on uh oh oh the voices for the townsfolk the voices fantastic the voices got louder he was coming it forward (laughs) he was coming into his powers and then he realized that he could control the thoughts and minds of the people around him. Oh my god. I'm like, so- Remy, you're a genius. <laughs> no, no, B, you're a genius. No! You- <laughs> it doesn't count anymore. Because <laughs> I sat here and I was like, why the fuck was there voice? <laughs> the voices were the minds of the town people who were like endlessly unhappy. Mm-hmm. And, and. Shit, that's good. Chip, <laughs> I feel arrogant, but I'm like, no, Remy, goddamn, like, yeah. So, so the psychic in Chip uh, kind of came into his powers, and he, they kind of unleashed all at once when he just screamed mm-hmm. to these voices, "Be better, do better, be happy." Yes. And and then he kind of clued in. It all came together, he said. 
Uh, And and he is the god of this town. He can make people do and think anything that he wants. And what he wants is is this this beautiful world. He he wants the town as he loved it before the mill went away. You know, so he says like I remade the town and its inhabitants. I brought it back to that place. This pre-modernization moment that he's obsessed with. I honestly thought that he was possessed by an angel (laughs) on the first couple of watches. I'm like, like, this watch, I was like, question mark? Question mark? Oh my god, that's too funny. He's a psychic. (laughs) Like, well, we can take the narrative at its word here. Um, Because Cass says, so you're a psychic who can control the minds of others and uh but i couldn't control you and yeah cas goes well i'm not human ergo immune you know yeah and the other one that he couldn't control was sunny and she's too like him is the way that he kind of phrases it and she is quite upset about this because she's found out okay not only has he remade this town, which she's been playing along with, but the ones who fought the remaking have died. And he's like, yeah, to protect it. But she's like, you killed Conrad for this. And so she is immediately like, I'm nothing like you. And she goes to run outside and Chip pursues her. And with them outside now, it is Justin, a.k.a. Sam, and the two men who are flanking Chip, who have turned to Cass, and they are ready to fight. Yeah, yeah. The thing about Sunny is that um, Chip says that she, he couldn't influence Sunny, but um, you know, let's think about Sunny as the daughter of Chip. I mean, she grew up in this, like, in like in this town. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that that like this is just kind of how it is but but as she grew older she knew just enough to know that it was off but it it, it took until conrad conrad's death to really cement in her that oh basically what my father is doing is is brainwashing these people yes Yeah, I think that there's probably some time between where this world that he's remade in Charming Acres um, took effect in Sunny's life. Like, I feel like she would have been quite young and maybe that's around the time when the world started deteriorating, according to Chip. And then there's that gap before he can start kicking in his power. And so I think that if you just imagine her growing up, that there would be this period where things were really bad and really tense, but then she gets older and things are good again. And if she's asking her dad about it, then he would probably have her in on this secret a bit and saying like, we're doing it because they're happier. When we do this, things are better. And so she would have been really 
indoctrinated in with this idea of it's all for the best and it's better for these people this way too. Oh yeah. Uh, exactly exactly she wouldn't know any better and and that makes you think that okay so conrad had only been in town for a couple of weeks he would have been like this outsider of of her town that she ultimately fell for so uh, from beginning to end she would have seen him kind of come under the influence of the town and then exit the influence of the town and know that this one community is not just the whole rest of the world and i do think because there's probably this level of influx as you say like if someone's just traveling by and oh hey we're, we're going to scoop you up you know rather than have you leave and draw attention to us um but there is also people who are like griffin like on the outskirts where they know that there's something going on there but they don't enter in and so now imagining conrad in this like he was someone who came in but this is the first time that sunny has really had someone to our knowledge that she has really connected to on this emotional level and like how deeply in love can you fall with someone when your dad is controlling their mind and has their hooks into them like like there i feel like there is this gray area between did she know people were dying or did she only start caring when it was people she was close to no because at some point in this when chip is talking to Cass, Cass turns to sunny and says and you knew the whole time you knew and she shakes her head no she's she's like mouthing to herself and she says no no um so i think that honestly she didn't know until she fell in love with this outsider and she realized that this is not like how people work <laughs> why guess. is she telling him to run though like why isn't she trying to bring him in on this well because he was his own person until he wasn't i guess where i'm sitting is i kind of like her as this gray morality ambiguity yeah. like not to say that she was entirely innocent in knowing how the cost of keeping the town this way i do kind of like the idea that she was suspicious of the costs and didn't really have it confirmed until recently but the the thing about her character really feeds into the belief that she goes along to keep along you, you know, she knows that this town is a lie and yet she plays along with it and she knows there is a cost to maintaining it this way and she keeps along with it. And it's only when the cost becomes too close for comfort that she really rebels against it. I, I don't know. I really like that ambiguity to her character. I, I agree. I think that... I think that I kind of missed it a little bit when I said she didn't know until she did. But how about she didn't see the harm in it because she was so indoctr indoctrinated yeah. in it until she learned of the killings. Yes. I think it was 
when it really hit home that then she was genuinely horrified. But it's where she's like, I don't know for sure. And until I know for sure, I'm not going to worry about it. Don't look at it too closely. Yes. Because this is her father. So she is not looking at it too closely. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I could go on a half hour sunny tangent quite easily (laughs) because I find her to be a really fascinating character because she feigns having no autonomy and you know all I all I can do is send the boy away and try and save him that way and yet when she comes into her own that's not true at all I'll I'll come back I'll come back to yes. that decision uh, her sending away this this man that she cares for like I would rather you be yourself outside of me and this town but I can't leave this town she yeah. said in the opening scene like I made a promise yeah um but her feelings you know change when she realizes the consequences of leave her telling yes. him to leave the, no one actually leaves this is the hotel california of arkansas uh-huh. arkansas arkansas so 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 we have justin and uh chips two lackeys and yes. and Cass kind of takes on the fighting stance and he says uh, sam i don't want to hurt you and uh, justin says golly i told you my name is not sam and he fucking charges oh my gosh so good he and lackeys charge at at sam uh, at cass and cass is fucking owning it kicking ass here we go thank you again like i was happy seeing him fight in episode 13 lebanon and i'm happy seeing him fight here again because he gets tackled he is knocking them over he is throwing them across tables a plus plus yeah, yeah. I we have three humans against an angel, but to be fair, this angel does not want to harm these humans yes. because he knows that they are, you know, uh, manipulated. Manipulated. And Sam Justin uh tackles Cass to the ground. He gets a hand around Cass's throat and he draws a fucking angel blade from his coat and he you know three humans against an angel that ain't nothing but uh Sam Winchester brainwashed or not against an angel that's something to be worried about yeah it goes back to he has those muscle memory instincts when it comes to fighting whereas I'm assuming the other two lackeys are more aesthetic than anything <laughs> oh well, well but what a beautiful fight it was i mean that was oh yeah continue to love the choreographer oh yeah Cass lays everyone on their asses until until he until uh, justin gets the better of him so aka sam uh, uh sam has this this angel blade hovering over trying to bear it into Cass's chest and Cass is holding him up uh, i want to say effortlessly because fuck you guys i mean sam as a human has no strength against like uh, 
he's not, he doesn't, he can't do anything to Cass. Come on, there's no tension here. I don't want there to be any tension here. Stop trying to play me. But I do <sighs> really love here Cass trying to break through to Sam. Oh, yeah. Saying, like, I know that you want to be happy, and I know what it's like to lose your army. I know, I know what, <laughs> oh my god, I'm just, like, upset. Don't, don't die. I know what it's like to fail as a leader, but you can't lose yourself. You have to keep fighting. And it just, yeah. there's, oh, it's so good because, again, so often Cass's history feels like it's glossed over or it's cursory to what is required because Supernatural is the Sam and Dean show. Yeah. And we've gotten better about having the supporting cast, but it still is the supporting cast. And so to have Cass's history here and to have these things evoked and like these moments that have weighed on him as failures and him to say like, don't give up from this because when you give up, it's not just yourself that you're giving up on, but it's the people who love you, the people in your life. And to Sam, he's saying like Jack and Dean, like you got to break through for them. It's, it's such a turnabout from what, you know, was Cass's, unfortunately, was Cass's defining, like, characteristic uh, in that he would acknowledge his failings and then throw himself into the fire to correct for those failings. He he is so honor-bound, duty-bound, that... Guilt-bound. Guilt-bound, that he would do everything he could to correct his wrongs, including throwing himself away with it. And here we have Cass saying, you can't lose yourself here because even though you have lost people, even though you have made mistakes, you still can... You know, you still have people who count on you, and you're not done yet. So, I, I could have framed it a bit more optimistically, but <laughs> that's what that's what. Oh, but that's where I'm at. Yeah, you you are seeing such a growth in Cass, and I do really like the framing that's going on here because quite often, like we talked about in the Lebanon episode where we have a character that's trying to break through to Cass through the connection that they have. And here we have Cass trying to break through to Sam and being like, here right. is all the ground that we have. Like, here's our history. Yeah. You, you, there's something there. Please connect to it. Please use it to come back to yourself. And we get it. We get it. And uh, Sam, Justin, through this whole fight, is kind of like crazy eyed. Yes. I think that I think that Jared did a really good job with Justin. Sam here, uh, a viewer. I, I mean, viewer, listener. I am so, so listeners. I am so sorry. The one of you. <laughs> yeah, the one of you. Listeners, I am so sorry for <laughs> for for any name confusion here, but it's fucking hard, okay? We have Justin, Sam, Jared, and I just don't know what to do. Treat them as one, okay? You've gotten this far. Everyone's clever. We got this. We have 
Sam here looking a little crazy eyed through this whole fight. Um, and, and it's just that same kind of like thing that we see a lot in Supernatural where we have this character who has a deep emotional connection to another character, a familial connection to this other character, uh, AKA here we have Cass pleading to Sam to just break through and, and Sam we see in Sam in Jared again, kudos Jared Mm -hmm. that he, that he is fighting against or like there's this war going on within him that that we have Sam recognizing what Cass is saying but also Sam the clinging to this this happiness this artificial yes. happiness yeah that the internal struggle is not just between himself and the brainwashing but also what he wants versus what he should do like do you give in to, okay, we're just going to stick in the happy-go-lucky and this is the cost? Or do you go, no, like, just because things are kind of miserable, they don't always have to be miserable. And I just have to have faith in that and get through this and get back to myself and then I can work towards that. Yeah, yeah. Does he want to shed all worry and... uh unpleasantness in his life at the cost of himself mm-hmm. as because Sam Winchester those flashback screams are pretty horrific and oh if he's God. just been sitting there and wearing himself down with that like ugh, rough poor boy but Sam strikes down yes on Cass pinned to the floor beneath him yes And so we are not shown right away where he has stabbed this angel blade, but soon enough we see that he has stabbed the ground by Cass's head, and he, Sam now tosses off those horn-rimmed glasses, and he comes back to himself. And outside we have... Sunny getting her stress on because Chip is railing at her and she has retaliated a bit saying that like basically it's going to what we talked about before where Chip is saying you know you stayed you didn't try and stop me and she says that she only stayed because she promised her mother that she would not leave him and And this is that promise that she you know, was talking reference, yeah, yeah. reference with uh, Conrad earlier. Yes. So this is why she didn't leave with him is because she has promised her deceased mother that she will stay with her father and like keep him company, keep him good, basically. Like I don't get the impression that the mother was aware that he had these powers, especially if I don't know that he it was did. only an intuition level at that point. Yeah. So it would have just genuinely been a mother to daughter, like, take care of your pop, because he is stuck in the 50s, and men in the 50s were incompetent at being adults. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I, he, I mean, 
He did say that it was after his wife died that he yes. burst into his, you know, true influence of yes. the mind. Yeah. So, so this was just straight up old fashioned misogyny. <laughs> but Sonny promised. So. So here she is. And yeah, Chip is saying that, you know, in this town, I'm God. And this is when Sam and Cass come outside and have these beautiful lines. Mm-hmm. Sam is like, you're not God. We've met God. And Cass, God has a beard. God. <laughs> he, it, it, Cass draws his angel blade and he's charging at Chip and he says, God has a beard. And... Like, oh it's his God. damn warrior cry right now. God I bless. know. I know. And, and, uh, Chip is just like, <sighs> all right. He does the kind of, like, demon sigh, like, okay. And I he, guess we're fighting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, psychic flings, uh, Cass away. Cass crashes into this bench. And, uh. Um, yeah, he's using this verbal command. He says to Cass, Go and when he does oh, really? this hand I didn't motion, even notice that. Yeah, he says go and it tosses Cass across the across this bench and onto the yeah. sidewalk. And then to Sam he says sit and forces Sam down to his knees and you can see Sam's clearly struggling. Yeah. And oh yeah, this is where Sonny is yelling at him too, like you can see Sam's face is contorting. He's getting those lines that darkening around his eyes. And it, okay, this is preempting a head explosion here. And so yeah. Sam is yelling at her dad, like, stop, stop. And then does the echoey voice and she does the hand motion and stop. And lo and behold, her dad does. He crumples kind of to the side, but he still is conscious. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you said, we have that like two tone command in in Sonny's voice, and um, Chip crumples under that command, and he looks to his daughter and says, "I knew it. I knew that you were, you know, just like just me. like me. Yes. So this is something again." Sunny here in that one big burst of emotion where Chip said earlier, like, I just yelled at those voices that I heard to say, just be happy. Um, this is Sunny's burst of coming into her own power yes. as a psychic. Yes. And he's and, so proud, but she is almost horrified. Like, Yeah, yeah. This is not what she wanted. And she's quite angry here. And she says, like, I'm, it goes back to that, I'm not like you thing. Like, she's saying, you hurt innocent people. And you want to be happy? Then be happy. And so she commands him with that two-tone voice. And he just goes kind of slack and... uh Cass is the one who approaches him and puts a hand on his head and is doing a little bit of checking of his mind and confirms yeah. that Chip is now trapped inside of his own head and it's a beautiful world, but he can never hurt anyone again. And Sunny here, she just, like, it's with emotion, but she just goes, good. 
Yeah. I really had a, a kind of an awe moment mm-hmm. when Cass approaches Chip and lays hands on him and looks into his mind and says he is in his beautiful world, the beautiful world that he tried to construct for himself here, but he is in a beautiful world and he is happy. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like good on you, Sonny. But also like, he's a bit of a dingus. He didn't deserve it. But, and Cass says, and he will never hurt anyone ever again. Yes. So, she did trap him in his own mind in this fantasy, but it was the fantasy that he was trying to construct in reality. It was basically the whim of one man. Mm -hmm. And if it is the whim of one man, then she gave him what he wanted. Yeah. It was this monkey's paw moment of you can have everything you want, but the thing is, is you will never interact with someone outside of your own mind again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was like a really good wrap up for this whole kind of weird monster of the week storyline i really loved it honestly yeah and again like my only critique would be like i'm like he's a bit of a bastard i would have liked a little bit more suffering but well he he did go comatose yeah again i'm like that's just i guess a personal preference because (laughs) as like as a concept as the episode as everything i'm like it's apt it's on the point and then i'm like just someone kick him in the butt before you go like Sunny, Sunny was loyal to her father and she, you know, uh, I wouldn't have <laughs> kicked to the butt or no. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have wanted to see Sunny lower herself to Chip's level no, because no. that was the whole thing. That was her whole thing. It was like once she was kind of enlightened to Chip's atrocities um yeah she just wanted to become the antithesis of him like she decided she was above it yeah 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 and again i i really enjoy her character i know it's one of those one-off but again this whole season we've been getting (laughs) these great one-off characters oh for sure sunny sunny good is sunny good chip sunny good sunny says good sunny is good and and we are back at the bunker yes we are following dean and jack as they enter in to the war room and dean drops his belongings off on the table and felix seems like he enjoyed the trip and uh and (laughs) jack how about you and jack has almost a cryptic answer where he says well it was certainly illuminating (laughs) <laughs> and he leaves and you could just see Dean's face is just like okay the fuck oh okay whatever the fuck that means mm-hmm. again it's such a dad Dean you know yes. he guided Jack to this like therapy basically yeah. yeah, and and he wants to you know be involved and he wants to know but he realizes the uh, counter productivity in pushing to know you yeah. know yeah. <laughs> it's like he 
he wants Jack to know that he's trying to relate. And even if he's not hitting the mark, he's trying, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't, he doesn't want to push. So <laughs> it was illuminating. Oh Dean's, Dean's just like, well, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Jack goes off to his room with Felix and Dean is just left being a little bit like, I I I feel like I have gotten no growth. <laughs> but he tried, but he tried so hard. Yes, and I th- honestly think that he did very well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he's not here too long before the main door to the bunker opens, and Dean watches Sam and Cass come down, and Dean asks, so how was Arkansas? <laughs> and Sam says, well, it was weird. Yeah, yeah. And Dean... <laughs> Dean says, uh, yeah, yeah. He gives that little, like, Dean nod. You know what I mean? The upward uh, tick yeah. of the chin. And he said, yeah, I heard you were a cardigan. And Sam just immediately <laughs> turns and stares at Cass. And you can see Cass is just like, what? Like, yeah, I told him about the cardigan. Yeah, of course he spilled everything to Dean. And... <laughs> and Cass Cass just like abort 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 he said I'm gonna go check on Jack yeah and where's he Jack away. his room okay bye cause Dean cause Dean says yeah heard about the wife too and <laughs> and Sam- at that point yeah Sam does again another look at Cass like really really <laughs> like, yeah like really like Cass is just like I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna go that way yeah, <laughs> he I'm walks not gonna out. participate in this he walks out. It was such a good moment. This episode is so full of great moments. And- yeah. And I just, again, I love what that alludes to, that, like, this case has wrapped up. And so now Cass is filling Dean in on everything that was going on. Yeah. And, like, okay, we're driving home soon. Like, all of these little cues that just show, like, here's the stability of this family in the bunker. I'm like, I love it. I know so many, so much background that we are offered insight in, but we don't even have to get that blow by blow. We don't have to, you know, hear that covert phone conversation between mm-hmm. Cass and Dean when Cass was just filling Dean in on his day while Cass was and in just the shower. Being, I'm like the gossipy bitch. Yeah. I'm like, I love yeah. it. I know. I mean, I, it's so great. It's so amazing. Um, and Cass does leave, but we are still with Sam and Dean in the war room. And um, Dean kind of confronts Sam with, so you were really happy, weren't you? Yeah, you were really happy, huh? So he gets a little bit more sober about this and... Sam just jumps in saying that he knows it wasn't real, but there's not a lot of happy around here, gesturing to the bunker. And he just hates this place right now. Wait, wait, this is where I pause. Because Sam says, I I hate this place right now. And my heart seizes in my chest because, Sam, this is your home. Yeah. This is the... But at the same time, Sam goes in to say, everywhere I look, I see them, the hunters that died, the hunters that we 
picked up their bodies from the floor and then gave them a hunter funeral. And this is my fucking life now because I'm just sitting here fucking crying over the hunter hub. Mm-hmm. So we have Sam and Dean in the war room right here. And Sam is saying, I hate this place. I hate what we lost. And everywhere I look, I see all that we lost. And I'm like, bro, me too, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, Remy, as my local Sam stand-in, is just losing it. Because I'm, I'm like... There would have been, like, all the blood that you would have had to clean up. You had to figure out where you're going to keep everybody. You have to figure out the schedule for funerals. Like, a schedule. Like, no wonder Sam is miserable. And and to see here the bunker so empty, the war room especially, so empty of activity and life and... And it was the Hunter Hub, and this is gonna just like I should just put a big fucking neon sign of Christmas lights outside my fucking house that says Season 14 Hunter Hub Galore because that was just like I just wanted it. I wanted I it, and I need it. I wanted it. it for Sam, I wanted it for like the whole of them, but. For Sam especially, we saw in Nightmare Logic that it's something that he was really well suited to. And I like I don't want to say like he was born to do, but he just has the skill and he has the compassion that is necessary. Like he was looking out for his people. He was trying to figure out ways to keep them safe, keep them educated, make the next hunt that they were on even safer than the last one and then it's all gone and like it's people who are all gone i know i know and it's people that he knew and it's people that he you know had uh, three check-ins a day to to have this conversation in the war room the war room that so far through this whole season we have seen just bustling with activity yeah through this whole season and now it is just Sam and Dean and Cass and Jack and it's back to the same old same old he says i hate this place and here's why to have lost all these people, I can't be here and not see them. Yeah, he's just desperate to get away from the ghosts that now haunt this place. Like, right, right. And I just am with Sam on that. Like, I, I'm with it. But it also hurts for Sam to even say that. Like, like I hate this place right now because this is his home. Yeah, this is this is the bunker this is and it just sucks that it's like his place of work and his place of home are juxtaposed in this way because if he is hating it because of where like this has become a place of death it's like but this is still your home it's like you're saying yeah yeah, it it really was just a, a a spike to the heart because for him to say I I hate this place, but this is his home and this is the bunker and we as the viewer we love the bunker and we love what it means to the Winchesters. Yeah, the stability and, they found, the ground zero that they can yeah. return to. 
Yeah, and Sam says, like, I just can't be here right now, and this is why I'm chasing every every lead I can possibly scrounge up, because I just can't be here right now. Yeah, but he finally is acknowledging that it's running, He yeah. and he can't keep doing this, because it is their home. And so he just needs time to, and I'm like, it goes back to Jack. It goes back to Jack, but well, Sam says, I, this is running and this is not, I do need some time and I do need some space and, you know, this is my home. So I'm going to be okay, but I'm not okay now is basically what he's saying. And Dean says, okay. And Sam is shocked, <laughs> but Dean says, okay, no, it's, it's, it's okay. Yeah. He puts his hand on Sam's shoulder and just acknowledges, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. 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 And, um, on Sam and Jack, where Sam here is saying exactly what Jack was saying. He's saying, I just need some time. I just need some distance from this place, this bunker. And we can tie that one-to-one into what Jack was saying, which which was, I just need some time to know if I'm okay, because I don't know if I'm okay. And if I have everyone in my family pushing in on me constantly with the, are you okay? Are you going to fucking snap i guess like that is that is kind of what he was born into with dean and the lucifer powers and and he has it again now with the you know before Cass even knocked on the door at the opening scene mm-hmm. with jack jack he's could jumping just in say i'm okay and he just needs his space and that's Donatello was um, telling Jack how he can get his space so that he does have the room to breathe. Yeah. But, sorry, let's wrap it up. Um, So we're in the final scene and we can see Jack is holding the snake Felix and he is narrating his thought process, which is essentially that, you know, he can tell that the snake needs help. And Sam and Dean would help him. And so what Jack will do to help him is return him to his friend. So his owner, the Gorgon Noah from last episode, who is super dead. And <laughs> then Jack is saying, well, I'll reunite you in heaven. And so no! he he dusts Felix. And I'm like, again, Phil, A+, plus, like, whoever decided that this was the final shot, because we see the wispy clouds of dust that have risen off of Jack's hands, and then we cut through it and focus in on the door, and we can see that Cass has observed what happened here. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> I'm just like... Uh, the fucking implications. I'm like, did did do snakes go to heaven? Do, do gorgons do, go to heaven? Do demigods go to heaven? Did Jack just fucking oh implement God, this tiny little box of heaven in which Noah just pops and then holy Felix shit pops and then like that's where you are now and it's like 
Did oh. Jack make a heaven for Noah? Holy for- fuck! Well, not even for Noah. For Felix, and <laughs> as an implication, Noah. Or is it like oh a God. fucking snake heaven where he just relives his highlights? Like, remember that time I was sitting on the counter and there was the body that was dead beside me? And he's like, I got fed corn chips that day. Jack is hol- holding Felix. Again, Felix is such a pretty snake. I love him. Mm-hmm. And and then he kills him to send him to Noah because because... As, you know, as Jack suspects, as Cass said, maybe you missed your friend. Maybe this is just too much of a change for you to adapt to. And I I will free you from this fucking chaos. <laughs> Fuck you! Uh, not, not, not you, B. Yeah, no. But- <laughs> <laughs> And and Jack kills Felix, and then Cass sees Jack kill Felix, and I'm just no Jack, no. But he's thinking like, if I was separated from my family, I'd want to be reunited. Well, I mean, oh, I don't even want to get into that because we already had Jack in heaven with with mm-hmm. Kelly. If Jack had a choice, would he, you know, what would he want? Um, he chose. He came back to Earth. He, Well, he didn't actually have a choice. No, but he can always go back to heaven. <laughs> and, and Cass from the doorway sees Jack dust out Felix. And then we cut to black and and I I myself am worried for Jack's yeah, soul. We are left to fret. We are left to fret. Yes, yes, yes. So um <laughs> I'm so like being... adult size baby doesn't understand ethics. Like you guys need to at least homeschool him. Did no one fucking Google and be like snakes eat this? <laughs> I'm like you guys there's so many core like foundational things you could have done to sidestep dust the snake and create snake heaven for the first time in (laughs) the universe i'm assuming like i don't know if snakes go to heaven but they do i think i think that jack i don't think that jack would have killed the damn thing if if snakes don't go to heaven well he fucking makes them go to heaven if they didn't go before he created a heaven i like that i like that that's a good meta uh, that wasn't B, me. I B, feel like that was the internet. B, save me. What's your final takeaway? Oh, I think I just mumbled banana. <laughs> What's my final takeaway? I didn't even get into my rant about modernization, by the way. But, like, I will say that there is a fucking deep dive there is a a cave structure with miles upon miles of stuff beneath the surface that you could dig (laughs) in about the fact that chip chose that time era like this pre-modernization and the fact that Cass is the other 
in this world. He is the outsider that cannot be swayed to conform. And <gasps> Dowling treats him as almost this deviant character. And there's the whole urban dictionary behind Johnny Cakes. And all of these things about Cass representing the other in here. Where I'm like, there's a fucking essay sitting there waiting for the context of the other within this society. And it's only because it's after midnight that I can't give it to you properly. But I'm like, there's gay thoughts. I didn't know. I didn't know. You're so right. I couldn't do it. I'm freaking out. I'm sorry I can't, like, give this to you properly. So I'm like, that's the cliff notes. He's constantly the other. He's constantly referring to Sam as his partner. There is a double entendre there that you can use again with this other, especially with the fact that this boarding and house- every character in the, the the story when Cass is going around, he says my partner, and they're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. oh no. Oh, and even no. when he says to Sam, like, I'm your partner, and Sam's kind of like, oh, okay. And I'm like, hmm. I feel so bad that, like, my voice modulation has flattened out because, like, I am genuinely enthusiastic about this topic. <laughs> but I'm, like, dead inside. <laughs> What's your final takeaway? Oh, you bastard. I think I think my final takeaway is just that conversation that Jack had with Donatello and like Dean showing a high level of sensitivity for the, all that he seems to be awkward and assume that he's going to do this badly because he's so afraid of not living up to expectations. But he showed a lot of intuition, a lot of sensitivity to Jack's needs beyond just his own question that he's trying to answer with regards to Jack's soul. And I don't know, I just like it because on one hand you can treat it really as the narrative did this, but on the other, I'm like, the narrative did it, but it shows this really wonderful highlight on Dean's character, this really subtle complexity that took place with his decision making. You've got to train. I do. <laughs> Honestly, I did not even think to dig that deep into it when I watched the first time. I didn't at all. Um, I just took it at the surface level of this was a funny episode. Um, mm-hmm. But but as you're saying it now, I mean, yeah, there is a tilt in Dean's perspective of Jack in this episode that is gonna come back to us. Yeah, because he's the only one that really got that shock. Yeah. And I feel like it does become important going forward. And he doesn't even really realize how important it is because, I mean, he doesn't inform Sam or Cass or anyone of this. It just melts into him and becomes like the second layer on him. He doesn't even realize it's happened. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think it's just really, really solid writing, honestly. Yes. I'm like, Yaki, A+. Megan, God bless. I want to see more from you. Yes, 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 yes. Um... So my, my, my final takeaway in this episode has to be Cass because as I said way earlier, uh, in this, in this recording, um, well, I won't say we, we have not seen it before, but it's so rare that we see this dynamic character in Cass. Yeah. Uh, We get to see him three dimensional, four dimensional, five dimensional. He's going through time and space. And, and it was such a fun episode, such a humorous episode. And honestly, um, this, uh, what my real final takeaway is, is that we had Cass with Sam this episode. Yes. And that this whole season has been bringing in so many character dynamics that we haven't um explored before and i love to see and i know that i've said it before so i'll keep it brief but like to have this episode where we didn't just have uh, dean and Cass convene in the kitchen at the opening scene of this episode and have dean go off with sam on the uh Arkansas hunt and to have Cass stay with Jack in the bunker to work out his mm-hmm. soullessness. Um, we did split the party in a way to have this Cass and Sam and Dean and Jack. Um, through the season, we have so we have had so many different like dynamics that I really love to see it, and um, it it brings so much insight into the characters because like let's say let's just bring Cass and Dean as an example because when you put Cass and Dean together as a dynamic Cass slots into a certain role but then we have this episode where we have that Cass-Sam dynamic and we have Cass who is basically like fitting in for Dean in this hunt this Sam Mm-hmm. Cass Hunt and and Cass just gets to shine and I love to see it and he had so many great moments and Jared fucking killed it and- oh my god yeah like I feel bad that neither of us picked him but honestly like he was so much fun Oh, he was so much fun. And 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 Misha was so much fun. And honestly, I just come out of this episode thinking about the 30 hours that Misha and Jared spent filming this episode. And Oh my god. And I just like what the blooper reel has to say about it. The biggest smile on my face. Absolutely. Because it's just it's so if this was such a great, fun episode, and and bonus, we get like eighty percent more cast than we ever do ever. <laughs> oh my god, yes! Like he is crucial to figuring out what's wrong with Sam, rather than okay, what's wrong with Cass? That's the thing. Exactly. That's it. Cass here is the driving force behind the plot. He's the problem Which solver. He's never oh. happens. Never. Yeah, I love it. So, so, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So good. <laughs>
It's so I, good. Yeah, this is such a highlight. Yeah, 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 yeah. We haven't had this much fun since Mitt Condition, and we didn't really have that much fun with Mitt Condition. So. I I would argue that, what was it, Unhuman Nature with um Harper and her zombie boyfriend was also quite fun. Oh, yeah. That one was also a lot of fun. And, oh, Sam and Charlie. I mean, that's another, like, character dynamic. We said in that mm-hmm. episode that we, we like, we have always had Dean with Charlie, but now we have Sam with Charlie, and, you know, our Charlie or not, it was still, like, great to see Felicia Day with Jared. And, uh, again, I just, I, I love the ensemble of this season. Yes. I love that they're taking, it's not even risk, but they're just, they're taking fresh looks at their characters and say, well, we haven't seen this before, so what would it be like? Yep, yep, yep. Um, so, <laughs> that was season 14, episode 15, Peace of Mind. Yay! Yay! We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope to see you next week when we cover Season 14, Episode 16, Don't Go Into the Woods. Yes. And as always, we'll just name drop our Gmail, our Twitter, our Tumblr, our website. You know the drill. You can reach out to us at any one of those places, and we'll love you for it. And also, if you could subscribe or rate and review on whatever platform you use for your podcast, that really helps us reach a greater audience, too. And we appreciate the time and effort it takes for you guys to do that. So thank you. Absolutely. If you enjoy our show, then yeah, drop us a line or leave us a rating or a review and and it really helps us out. So thank you guys so much for all of your support. We we love you for it. Yes. Um, <laughs> B. Yes. See you next week. Yes. <laughs> As always, it is a delight to talk with you, Remy. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, always, always. I love you, B. I love you, too. And I love you guys, all you viewers, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.